0: Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies, the home of all things horror, haunted, and Halloweeny. And <laughs> very strong cocktails, <laughs> as you may have guessed. Let me see.
1: Woo! Yeah, there's a lot going on in there. There's a lot going on in there. It's our uh Blood in the Water. Blood in the Water. Shame. We we decided to record um with video.
0: Yes. So hello to those of you to
1: watching.
0: those watching on video. Um you may have guessed that this episode is covering a fishy little film
1: <laughs> called
0: jaws Wait, I'm fading
1: out. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um and it happens to be our 100th episode mm-hmm. as well. Um we're right here, smack dab in the middle of the summer. It felt- It's a
1: million degrees outside. It's a
0: million degrees outside. We went out to get the ingredients for our shark and in the- Melted. Our <laughs> and melted. Um, so these are very refreshing in a number of ways, but yeah, we wanted to go big. We're going to need a bigger podcast as it were. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should make that the title of the
0: yeah. episode.
1: We're going to need a bigger podcast. We're going to
0: need a bigger podcast. So, so yeah, it felt appropriate given this season and the milestone to do something pretty big. So we're going to be diving deep into the toothy waters of the world's very first blockbuster, Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> Daddy Dreyfus.
1: <laughs> Even I can get behind that. Yeah he was looking good he just jumps off the boat in his little my friend calls those condom beanies the little half like not even there it's not quite a full on yeah it's like one like it looks like they've had to pin it to his head because how else is it staying on probably when he takes off his glasses and
0: his super curly (laughs) i know and he like chris evans owes everything to his sweater game yeah
1: (laughs) Well, I was thinking that, too, about this movie, the amount of, like, I'm always jealous because I'm like, I know part of the reason is because they filmed Beyond Summer, so it's yeah. part of why they got away with wearing sweaters and stuff, but I'm always like, what part of the world can you be at the beach and also be in, like, a Raven sweater? Right, in July. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, when he's sitting on the beach, when Brody's sitting on the beach, he's wearing a sweater t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. I'm like, what <laughs> it's
0: like wait what are you doing what are you wearing it's fourth of july weekend
1: (laughs) put on a tank or wear no shirt like i don't yeah i it distracts me sometimes the amount of sweaters these people are wearing like out in the sun out and about
0: that is a good point you bring that up and quint's always in a sweater Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure when we see him or some sort of heavy jacket
1: yeah yeah layers he's in he's in layers yeah so yeah can't get away with that right now
0: can't get away with that right now like most of
1: i think it's like you all 97 degrees yeah it's
0: crazy hot here
1: but i bet the heat index is hotter i'm gonna check i I was gonna
0: check the heat index index.
1: i found out what heat index means so now i'm like well what's the heat well what is it it's 98 Um, so it's actually not that much hotter it's 98 okay um it's basically the version of like wind chill but for heat but for heat Like your body's reacting, like your body would react as if it were this temperature is what it's saying. Okay. As far as your body knows, it's this temperature, even though it's technically this temperature. Makes sense. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Anyway. Now that we all know what the heat is. (laughs) And the answer is really fucking hot. Yes. um, We'll get started with the episode, but before that, since it is the 100th episode thought it would be nice to do some reflections, some fun facts, and to some shout outs to okay. some good friends who have been helping us out along the way. Um, so we started the show back on August 21st, 2016. Um, so not only is it our 100th episode, but we're a month shy of our- Anniversary?
1: Seventh? Anniversary? anniversary?
0: No, 2016, math.
1: 2016, six? Two. six. No, two is equal to 14, right? No, or is that equal to 12? I'm trying to think of like, I'm thinking of military time. It's six years because I'm thinking military time is two o'clock is 1400. Right.
0: So we're coming up on six years, (laughs) a 100 episodes. Um, Our very first episode was an introduction and a horror top five. That's what we did our very just like first top show five It was just our top five horror in general. I don't even remember what I said. I thought about going back and li- to listen to the first episode and I then I was like, nah. Is...
1: I think we did movies and books because I feel like I remember. Maybe we didn't. I know sense. Blair Witch was on my...
0: I was going to say, and I know Halloween w- would have been And like... you had
1: Session 9.
0: Oh, okay. I remember
1: that. Which... And Picnic at Hanging Rock, I think, too. Also
0: correct choice. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: would be interesting to hear how things have changed. Then.
0: I know that was, uh, we were both in different apartments. Mm -hmm. We were, were you in a different country? You were about to go to a different country. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, that was right before I moved to Canada. We recorded from Canada too, I think we did.
0: Um, so over the, over the past six years, obviously we've covered a lot. Um, particularly we have done, we have covered 72 films over the past 99 episodes including 11 booze and booze, one mini one special bulletin, one tribute special, and one special announcement. Huh. So we've done a lot of specials as well. Uh, our longest episode ever was episode 92, which was um, the horror film history part two, mm. um, like the 50s on. That w- episode was three hours, 58 minutes, and 22 seconds long. History. History, man. Uh, The very first film we covered entirely on its own was Don't Breathe, and that was episode three.
1: That was so long ago.
0: Yeah. Um, And I'm assuming it would have just come out. Yeah, we were
1: seeing it in theaters. And so. It's crazy. I didn't even know we did an episode for Don't Breathe.
0: We sure did.
1: Could not tell you what happened during it.
0: Um, our most covered decade is the 2010s. We have covered 27 individual films from that decade.
1: And you know what? It's a great decade. For it them. is
0: very strong decade for Um I think, I, I think our second, if I remember correctly, was the 90s? That would I have,
1: I have everything. We got Blair Witch, Silence of the Lambs, um, Sixth Sense.
0: Yeah. We've done a fair. Scream. Share from that. Candyman. man candy yeah. uh the earliest chronological film that we've discussed independently on the show was the innocence mm-hmm. from 1960 um and that was part of our whole big episode on um turn to screw mm. and the most recent chronological film we've discussed on its own was bad hair from 2020
1: the the hair-based the hair-based horror, horror comedy ish horror there were some funny moments in it but
0: yeah yeah um our most listened episode according to the stats on both stitcher and soundcloud was episode 53 on the haunting of hill house the the mega episode where, where we, we did just did it the all, book the media. movies and the upcoming show at the time it was upcoming yeah um yeah uh, in terms of booze and booze, the most listened booze and booze was um, the 10th one, Easter Bunny Kill that Kill.
1: It came out right before the pandemic. That was the last one we did before the pandemic, yeah. so I think a lot of people just, like, found it by accident, maybe.
0: I think we we were in lockdown, even, when we Easter, just- Yeah, it was, like, right at the—yeah, because it was Easter, because I think it would have been,
1: like, two weeks into lockdown, we did it.
0: Because we were like, you know what, let's put something out, but I don't mm-hmm. think we had the energy to do an episode, yeah. so we did Easter Bunny Kill Kill um we have had three different guests join us over the course of the show um miss colleen friend Mm -hmm. of the show who also operates the splatter shadow tumblr Mm -hmm. huge shout out and thank you to her um she joined us when we did horror video games i believe
1: which we might need to do uh because and i'll bring this up in um horror headlines but uh there's a new game out from the people who did uh until dawn. Oh that yeah. Talking about, so I'm curious to see her opinion on that. that. I could just ask her.
0: If... We'll bring on the show and ask her, and we'll <laughs> I'll find get out a live
1: reaction. <laughs>
0: um. We also have had guests um, Matt Shore and James German. who have mm-hmm. been on this show both of them multiple times. Matt Shore has joined us, I think, three or four times yeah. at this point. And we want to give special shout outs to both of them. Um, check out the episodes what, where they're on. Check out their work. Mm-hmm. They've both put out some pretty cool stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then I also wanted to give a special shout out to Don Anelli on Twitter because he's always featuring us on his horror podcast shout outs whenever we drop a new episode um he always like pushes us out there into the community um lots of people retweet that i think that's how a good number of folks have probably found Mm us um so that's very kind of him thank you dawn we appreciate that yeah um do you have any like reflections or anything like a 100 episodes in that you want to share um not to like put you on the spot but to put you on the spot
1: It's funny because, like, part of me is, like, I would be interested to listen to, like, what the episodes used to sound like, but then also, like, absolutely not. (laughs) When I was a teenager, a young, like, early teens into mid-teens, I guess even into late teens, during my entire teens. All the teens. I I was on a very popular Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. Ooh. This was, like, early adoption of podcasts. Like, it wasn't a common thing at the time. And we were, like, the Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. Like, we got, like like crew to come on and do things and that sort of thing what was it called um what was it called it was for dong bufeng into the spirit world i think is what it was called spirit world podcast um anyway like that was i remember listening to like the first episode i was on versus like two three years in being on episodes and it was just like oh The difference,
0: yeah. So, yeah, I I do listen to our episodes, but I usually listen to them like once they come out
1: from the spirit world. Not even from the spirit world. From the spirit world. Yeah, Yeah, continue.
0: But I just I feel like if I were to go back now and listen to those early ones, it would be fairly cringy. No,
1: and Um, I'm sure we got better at like research and like talking about different analyses because I know that.
0: Yeah, we've changed the format of the show yeah, a couple of times. When so. we came
1: back after we took a little hiatus during the pandemic, the um, we added more like background and analysis, I think, than we had before mm-hmm. to like various episodes and that sort of thing. And like, you know, I'd like to think we cover some things that other people don't, because there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of horror podcasts out there and there's a lot of niche horror podcasts
0: very much so
1: that cover like very specific things and I feel like we'll just do whatever
0: yeah like I I feel like you know when we started the show I I knew there were already a lot of horror podcasts Mm -hmm. but like the last six years have just proven how big this community really is Mm -hmm. and how passionate because it seems like everybody has a podcast but it's kind of cool because there's not There's a little bit of this but there's not like a ton of gatekeeping there have been a lot of like podcasts around our size that like our stuff and retweet our stuff and i think we repay the favor to them Mm -hmm. as much as we can and that's been really cool to see yeah um and just like what everyone Kind of decides it's going to be like their weird little niche, right you know, because
1: its just so, and you see this even on like the horror writer side of Twitter, like people like just working on different things and having their own sort of like specialty, yeah, and that sort of thing, and like this is the kind of stuff I work on, and this is the kind of stuff I like, and you know it's just nice there's so many like there's so many subgenres and like sub subgenres that you could have you could do anything,
0: yep, and uh and people will listen, and people yeah. will. We'll consume it and find it i yeah. mean
1: and then there's like yeah because like there's there's the stephen king podcast obviously the, yeah um, the, losers club. the losers
0: club plus um uh the king cast the
1: king cast yeah and then the losers club i think has an offshoot or did at one point where they talked about like the psychological benefits of horror like two of the oh, hosts oh, talked um, about like how it helped their mental health yeah to, to it's do the horror. psycho something podcast mm-hmm.
0: yeah um there's Halloweenies, mm-hmm. there's scream queens, horror queers, yeah. um, all great podcasts. And there's
1: like horror adjacent- Dads from the
0: Crypt, you guys are real good about liking our stuff. Um,
1: there's uh, also like horror adjacent, like I've been listening a lot recently to National Park After Dark. Mm. where they share like kind of spooky stories or weird unsolved mysteries or true crime about like various national parks yeah i like some
0: of those like let's not meet is a good one with that or um oh what's what's the real big one the real famous one that like started that kind of stuff um they've been going for like 15 seasons well this is is clearly already gotten to my head so (laughs) um But yeah, uh, I would just say, I think, cheers
1: to <laughs> I'm seeing if my tongue is blue. Is it? Not really. Oh.
0: Little will get there. There is a lot of cures on this.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it's been fun. Mm-hmm. And here's to 100 more.
1: Yeah.
0: Click <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for letting us indulge in our 100th episode Reflections. Right now, we're going to move into our Read, Watch, and Listen Horror Headlines check-in. A couple of highlights that we each have since the last time we recorded. Anything you want to shout out?
1: We just watched a bunch of trailers this (laughs) morning. We sure (laughs) did. Trailers that we'd already seen, but let's
0: Yeah, what did we check out? Obviously, the Halloween Halloween Ends ends. trailer has dropped. um...
1: We got an ad and decided to watch it for... um... Don't worry, darling.
0: Don't worry, darling. Um,
1: I've seen we've seen all these. Before, yeah, but they're fun to watch. Um, so that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like actual things, I've consumed. Saw the Black Phone finally. Yes, that was very good. You very saw good. it, but Solid. I think you had seen it. I before. think I saw, I
0: saw it like right before we recorded yeah. Stand by Me.
1: Yeah, which you know, fitting. Yeah. Um. So that was very good. Um. I watched. I watched Watcher. I don't know if you saw it. Oh yeah, yeah, Watcher. Yeah. Pretty creepy, right? It was pretty creepy. The one thing like that was distracting me was like, I didn't feel like the setting needed to be as sort of far flung as it was. Cause I feel like it's something that could have happened anywhere. Like I get like the point of it. It was just like, to me, it was like a little bit distracting that it was like.
0: Interesting.
1: Such a, cause I was like, oh yeah, this could happen like right here out your window. And that's right. Of, like any new city you were in. Yeah, but very. I think for
0: for to provide the the language barrier to increase her isolation.
1: Yeah. 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 Um. But very creepy. Very good.
0: Very creepy. Maika Monroe is like,
1: she's a rising horror star. Yeah. No, she did a good job. Um, saw those two. I watched the playthrough, one of the playthroughs of the quarry, which is the new Until Dawn video game. Same folks, right? Yeah. Um. Which basically was like inspired by every possible horror film between the 60s and like the early 90s because um, it takes place at the end of the summer at a summer camp um and it's also got a little bit of sort of like texas chainsaw massacre vibes nice. um creature feature stuff so it's so a little
0: bit of a hodgepodge yeah, mix of things there's a lot of
1: diff- it's fun um it's definitely different from until dawn especially i've just heard from the people who actually played it the gameplay is more cinematic because they realized people were just watching you know mm-hmm. the video games rather than playing them so they purposefully made it more just cut scenes that you like chose the answer to questions interesting through. yeah as opposed to like actual gameplay but um
0: Sounds like a game I could actually do then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't really have to do too much. You just like sort of role play as characters um, and learn different things. But that was very good. It was a nice little, it came out, I think towards the beginning of the summer. So that was fun. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's where I'm at. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah,
0: as you said, I saw the black phone as well. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Thought Ethan Hawke was like very creepy. Um, both of the kids were great, and that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else have I been up to? Oh, I was mentioning this to you off mic, but um, I've been watching last year's um, TV adaptation of "I Know What You Did Last Summer"
1: mm-hmm.
0: on Amazon, and it's. Kind of weird
1: <laughs> i don't know if it's good or not but I'm yeah i
0: don't know and i've i'm sticking with it though to figure mm-hmm. out um i've got like two episodes left and it, it definitely it's that kind of thing where if it sticks the landing and brings it all together it it'll be a solid show but like if something's off like i don't know this the whole thing could fall apart kind of thing
1: i've heard similar things from people who have watched it where they're just like, it's not at all what you would expect it to be. No. And I'm not sure what it
0: is. Yeah, it's, cause it, it doesn't qu- have quite the same sort of um, campy vibe mm-hmm. as um, like the original movie and even the sequels. Um, it's technically an adaptation of the Lois Duncan novel, but without including that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels a little like Pretty Little Liars
1: okay Which um, is supposedly coming back a little yeah a little grungier than a little
0: grungier than before so i don't know i guess for episode 101 i'll give a final update <laughs> on how it all played out but um yeah so i think that'll be it for horror headlines for now um mm-hmm. we're anticipating um a decently lengthy episode so let's dive right in mm-hmm um dive right in
1: hey hey i'm coming near more when he dives in. <laughs> and he dives it after
0: what we do in the shadows basement. oh yeah I'm watching that what we do in the shadows yeah.
1: back of course yeah um
0: so yeah here we go episode 100 steven spielberg's jaws let's take a listen to the trailer
2: there is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change without passion and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him Jaws. This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws.
1: I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway.
2: You yell, Barracuda. Everybody says, Huh? What? You yell, Shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks in 3 feet of water, about 10 feet from the beach? Yeah.
0: What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. We're not only going to have to
2: close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. Bad fish, but I'll catch him and kill him.
0: Did you hear your father?
2: This shark swallow you whole. Ah! You're gonna need a bigger boat. That's a twenty-footer. Twenty-five. Three tons of them. Hold it up! He's coming straight for us. Don't
0: screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now. Shoot! Got it.
2: of man's fantasies of evil, and compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Jaws. See it before you go swimming.
0: All right, so you have said you are excited For our Mm -hmm. opening question, because you have a pretty specific Mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. So let's get to it. When did you first see this film and what were your impressions?
1: So, my first encounter with Jaws was not via the film. I was three years old, two and a half, three years old, and we were down in Florida and we were (laughs) at Universal. Ah! So, and I have, like, memories of this that I have corroborated that they're, like, real memories with my mom to be like, this happened, and this, these are the details, and she's like, oh, yeah, that, that did ha-. So, like, they're very, very <laughs> early, like, it's potentially, like, one of my first Could memories. Could be your first memory, I was going to say. Um, but I was about three, because it was when we went to Disney for the first time, and obviously did the whole one day in Universal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we went to the Jaws ride which is no longer, I think it's there, but it's no longer running because they're about to take it down.
0: They, um, it has been, uh, I I don't know if they've gotten rid of everything, but it's been built over Mm -hmm. because that's where, um, Diagon Alley is. Oh,
1: wow. I've been to Diagon Alley. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not there anymore, Yeah, but it was this water ride that was like, kind of like in the spirit of like a lot of rides in Universal, it kind of like put you in the world of whatever movie you're in. Like I don't know if you ever did like the Twister or oh, Backdraft I love the Twister ride. Yeah. Um so the idea was is that you were going, you were at Amity Island mm-hmm. and you were going on like a boat tour because they were trying to like beef up tourism because the shark attacks really killed their tourism. So you go on a bo- boat tour and then obviously you get attacked by a shark. Shark. <laughs> and i just have this memory of apart from like standing in line and getting on the boat and all this other stuff because i remember like they made the line very much like there was news segments yeah and stuff but, and aren't
0: you in you're in like the like boating shack yeah. or whatever at one point
1: yeah um but i just remember like at one point the boat because the boat's on a track mm-hmm. and it tips so that when the shark comes out It looks like he's, like, you know, about to, like, eat everyone. And I just remember screaming because I just, like, would see this giant, you know, because it's huge. Yeah. um, Came out and attacked us. And, you know, afterwards we were like, oh, what fun. And went on our merry way. But I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I was three. You you're
0: like, wait, we almost got eaten by a shark. (laughs) Why is no one talking about this? Yeah.
1: So I flipped out. That was very scary. Um, And that was the first encounter I ever had with Jaws. So that would have been, like, 90 six nice. 95 96 um and then after that you know at some point i caught the movie on tv and that sort of thing but yeah yeah that was my first my first jaws encounter first jaws <laughs> three encounter. years old like, nice yeah
0: ah uh, i wish i had something concrete mm-hmm. this movie is unfor- like unfortunately for this particular question like one of those ones where It was kind of always there at some point, Mm -hmm. you know, in my childhood. When I actually watched the whole thing start to finish, I couldn't say. Um, I remember being like seven or eight, and our whole family went on vacation to Ocean City.
1: Maryland or Jersey?
0: Maryland. Okay. And I remember it being on one night and everyone At the beach sitting room. around and watching it. Right. <laughs> Stupid idea. Um, and then it would like, and then it was funny because like for years growing up when we would go on vacation, just like my immediate family, mm-hmm. not the whole family, like which our vacations often involve beaches of some right. kind one way or another, it was like almost always shark week. When we were on vacation. Oh, yeah, it's Shark Week. It's showing up during Shark Week. Yay. We're, we love a theme. Yeah.
1: Sharks. So. By the time I get to this Swedish fish down here, it's going to be really saturated with a.
0: Yes, it is. It's going to be, it's going to have all that flavor. <laughs> I know, it's very sweet. <laughs> so, um, I think we're going to kick things off talking about a little background Mm -hmm. of um the history of shark attacks in the united states um a little bit about the novel on which the film is based etc etc you had um pulled some good research for us um about shark attacks in the country um do you want to tell us a little bit about that miss mill sure
1: i'm gonna preface this with like i'm pro shark yeah like
0: (laughs) that's a good thing we should we should both say splatter shatter is pro shark
1: and pro shark. The sharks are fine; yeah. they're not really hurting anyone. Um, and we are going into their territory, so
0: yeah. A a, a full on like shark attack is pretty rare.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I have the stats in here at some point of like exactly how many shark attacks happen worldwide, and it's not a lot. Like every year, yeah. Um, and most of them aren't fatal.
0: And like I've totally seen those things where it's like, oh, you're more likely to X, Y, and Z yeah. than be attacked by a shark.
1: Yeah, like I actually think the number of people struck by lightning is higher is hi- than getting yeah. attacked by a shark. So sharks are chill.
0: Sharks are chill. We should take care of them. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Prefacing
0: that. Prefacing,
1: <laughs> it has been prefaced. <laughs> it has been prefaced. So um, one of the big things that uh, like inspired not only, like not just the movie because they obviously references this in the movie but the book mm-hmm. itself, Jaws, that the movie was based on was the 1916 jersey shore shark attacks Mm -hmm. which were like the first time in u.s history that like this had like happened in this way it actually changed the way people thought about sharks because prior to this people like thought they were just like harmless like puppies like you know like they didn't think they could do any damage and after this they like really changed their perspective of like what a shark could do if you know in certain situations interesting um so basically this was an unseasonably warm summer july it took place in the beginning of july like between july 1st and july 12th in 1916 unseasonably warm probably from early global warming (laughs) after the industrial revolution um but that drew a lot of people to the beach which is part of why they think this happened Uh. was just because there was just a higher population of people going to the beach and then this also coincided with um like a full like the full moon portion of the cycle which raises the level of salinity in the water and like encourages sharks to come more inland because it's ah. saltier. So it was like a confluence of like unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. More so than like a shark went nuts. Right. But um the first attack happened on July 1st at Beach Haven which is like 20 miles north of Atlantic City or so. Um and the victim was a Philadelphian who was staying at a hotel there named Charles Epting Van Satt. Um, oh my. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Mr. Van Mr. Van
0: Sant. um his room is heavy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's 28 um, and he like in the early evening decided to go for a swim, like before dinner. As one does, I guess. That
0: totally seems like a nineteen-sixty Something thing.
1: Charles Epting Van yeah. Sat would do. Um his
0: pre-dinner swim. <laughs> so
1: He goes out for a swim. Um, and like as pretty much as soon as he got out there, he started, people were also on the beach and they heard him shouting and they thought like he was like playing cause they saw a dog out there, I think. So they thought he was playing with a dog
0: mm. and
1: eventually they were like, oh, this is a problem. And they like flagged down the lifeguards who hauled him into shore and supposedly the shark actually like followed him for a period as they were bringing oh, him wow. into shore. Um, and he. You know was alive when they brought him to shore they got him back to the hotel where he was staying but he ultimately bled to death before like 7 p.m that night damn uh in the lobby of the hotel
0: oh so so that hotel is haunted
1: yeah i don't yeah. even know if it's still there oh i'd the be point. curious to to know there are some old hotels in um jersey like, there's one by where we always used to say that my parents would say was haunted, so I don't Maybe know. Maybe it's the same one. It's not. Oh. It's not, it's not the right area. It could be haunted for other reasons. Yes, and. Yes, and. Um, anyway, the second attack was a couple of days later on July 6th at Spring okay. Lake, which is, these were progressively getting more and more... Farther north, which is part of why they thought it was pretty, it probably was the same shark, just because it seemed like he was following maybe a migratory traveling. pattern. Um, but there's some debate about that. Did they know, maybe you'll tell us later, what kind of shark? There are, yeah. So they have two predominant theories about what kind okay. of shark it was. So July 6th at Spring Lake, which is just south of Asbury Park, um, 44, 45 miles north of the first attack, this victim. That's a decent. Yeah ways yeah
0: or maybe it's not for a shark i don't know
1: for us it seems. yeah <laughs>
0: yeah
1: um the victim was charles bruder who bruder. is 27 um he was a swiss tourist yikes oh. sucks so- to suck i guess i don't know
0: did he yodel for help <laughs> it
1: didn't work if he did <laughs> um who was swimming uh when he was bitten and like had his legs like just basically immediately severed oh, God. um he got really like he was dead by the time they brought him he didn't even make it out of the water they declared him dead because i think the shark just like took his legs and that was that i mean um
0: you don't really come back from that no
1: so six days later on july 12th and this is the one that always freaked me out as a kid because you know we you know we knew about you know because people in jersey that's the shore we would always go to and people would talk about the shark attacks and that sort of thing
0: Meaning these shark
1: attacks. These shark attacks. Mm. And this third one is the one that really freaked me out. So the next attack, July 12th, is even farther north in Matawan Creek. Matawan Creek. South of Staten Island, about 30 miles north again. We're still going north. And it took place almost a mile inland in a brackish creek.
0: That's, that is the most disturbing. Yeah.
1: So if you look up pictures of this creek, like parts of it, like there are marinas and stuff, but like where this attack took place was like You know, it was a creek like a proper creek that kids would play in. Wow. Um. So, um, earlier in the day, like a sea captain had been like, "Yo, I think I saw a shark in the creek," and everyone was like, "Oh, you fucking idiot!" Right. (laughs) So they didn't believe him. Um. And two p.m. thereabouts that day, Lester Stilwell, age eleven, was attacked while playing in the creek. He was there with some other boys who saw him get pulled under and so they ran for help um and like they found a group of men in town who thought like i don't know like they obviously knew that the kid was in trouble but they thought like something else was happening They're like oh it's not a shark like something else happened but huh. they ran to go help the kid and one of the rescuers watson stanley fisher was also bitten like in front oh, of people he was bitten so they were like oh okay so it is a shark um i wonder what they
0: thought the trouble was
1: I forget what it was they thought like he got I think they thought he like got stuck on something and he was like I I couldn't forget. come up yeah the fr- they yeah. <clears throat> they thought it was something like not a shark because they were like you know we're a mile from how could it be? yeah yeah but one of the rescuers was bit in full sight of everyone so they're like okay that was a shark wow um he survives the rescuer who mm-hmm. was bitten the boy um does not and they actually don't get his body until later because he gets dragged um about 150 meters upstream is where they eventually find him wow so he got like carried away by the shark so sad and then the final attack which happened um like not far away was joseph dunn who was 14. he's from new york city um it was like a half mile back towards the ocean, I think, um, mm. where the, the creek attack happened. Right. Um, and this kid was playing with his, bro- his older brother. He gets attacked. His brother like drags him out of the water. They get him to a hospital in New Brunswick. Um, and he actually survives and he's the only survivor. Oh, wow. Um, if you don't count the, the guy who got bit trying to yeah, get the, the kid That's out. It's sort of like a yeah. asterisk yeah. victim. So, wow so so five victims or five there was four or five attacks four or five attacks with some multiple victims depending on like the second to last attack had multiple victims yeah um so like the attack like this was like widespread panic like coast to coast people were tweaked out um officials were very reluctant to admit it was a shark they were saying like i think they even like They said something goofy that I think like the movie also like mimicked where they were like, oh, it was like some sort of fish, big fish, big fish,
0: big old fish.
1: So like they, you know, like they weren't into saying because they were like, no, sharks don't attack people like this doesn't happen. Um, But like people were freaked and they ultimately lost in today's money over six hundred or six million dollars worth of revenue. Wow. At the Jersey Shore because attendance dropped as much as 75%. Cause people were like i'm out <laughs> um so like it really like made people reevaluate the way that they thought about sharks <clears throat> which is interesting because like most of the attacks were inland right what or a just, of or were, just one the last couple were inland because he basically that creek connects to like the bay below Staten Island. Uh, so he went north and it looks like he maybe hooked into, and like got stuck in this creek and, and couldn't like, ah. fi- figure out how to get yeah. back. Yeah. Um, but basically this like sparked a, you know, a shark hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they called him, him, I don't know why I'm gendering the shark, but they called the shark <laughs> the Jersey man-eater. They slash them. <laughs> <laughs> they slash them. Another one coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bunch of people went out to the shark and they were theorizing that it was a shark from the caribbean sea who was displaced either by geez that's quite a ways yeah so they do go up pretty far because that's one that's true ironic thing that i put in the production notes about the filming location of uh so i'll mention that when we do that but caribbean sea they thought it was displaced by like either like the tumult i guess of the spanish-american war which was decades earlier or weird, by yeah. German U-boats that were maneuvering down there during oh. World War One, um, several sharks did end up getting caught by people who all claimed, "Like I caught the shark." <clears throat> um, ultimately, the one that people agreed probably was the shark um, was one that was caught uh, in Raritan Bay. So that's the bay just south of Staten Island that lets into the creek. creek, and it was a young great white, about nine feet long mm. um it was caught on July 14th um when it was autopsied they you know said that they found partially digested human remains or what they believe was partially digested human remains so they're like okay this is the guy um but other people caught different sharks you know so we don't really know but the attacks stopped after this ah uh-huh. um and that shark that they think was at the the 9 foot um great white they like taxidermy didn't put on display for a while to be like, it's the Jersey man we got here. it, and then eventually, like, it disappeared. So, somebody somewhere has that shark that's wild. Um, but yeah, so the predominant theory is that it was a great white, but a lot but like of like a younger, yeah, great white. But some people have put forward the theory that it was actually a bull shark because they're the ones more likely to go into creeks. I was gonna something. say, don't they
0: kind of somewhat regularly do that
1: yeah and they were thinking that one of the reasons a great white might have done that is because of the raised salinity levels of the water because of where the moon cycle was it might have like accidentally found its way in there in there so <clears throat> but yeah those were the the 1916 jersey shark attacks
0: yeah those were. i remember like watching a documentary about that i think during a shark week at mm-hmm. some point growing up And I had forgotten a lot of those details, but when you mentioned the one about the boy in the creek mm-hmm. again i was like oh that's coming back to me now yeah. that is the scariest one and
1: i grew up near a river like that we would regularly just walk to as kids and i always remember thinking the scariest fucking thing i could i could like have it happen to me at that river is just to see a dorsal thing go, go by i'm like you know 120 miles from the jersey shore but i'm just like what if man like all <laughs> water just lead to the ocean all water man i think my mom actually had to tell me once like it's not gonna a happen. A shark would not survive long enough to get to <laughs>
0: you there. But. Did you ever have, I had this recurring dream a lot as a kid, I think a lot of people do, of a shark in a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I used to actually be afraid of the automated, like vacuums, even that go in the pool. Oh. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like, what if it comes after me? Well, what if
0: it comes after you? Or like, uh, what's that that Chuck Palahniuk story? guts oh yeah yeah
1: so like yeah i've thought about that sort of thing where it's like what if there was just a shark in this what pool? If?
0: mine was always like i would be in the pool my head would be above water mm-hmm. and it'd be like daytime and it, the pool would be normal
1: mm-hmm.
0: but then i would go underwater it would be the ocean. and it would be dark Ooh. and then i would see the shark coming at me out of the shadows you should,
1: that would be a good story to write you shouldn't you shouldn't Commit that uh, to something. Nobody
0: steal that. <laughs>
1: claiming <laughs> cut that.
0: Claiming IP right now. Yeah, mine. Um, that's awesome. That's that's crazy. And it's crazy that, like you mentioned, like when you would go to the Jersey Shore, that mm-hmm. like people would still talk about the attacks.
1: Yeah, which
0: because now only, that's over a hundred years ago.
1: Yeah, because it was the only real attacks that ever. I'm sure like once or twice people have been bitten by sharks. Sure. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I see dolphins all the time at the Jersey Shore, but... Yeah. And you're always like, are those sharks? And you're like, no, they're
0: dolphins. Right.
1: But, um, yeah, it was, like, the only time something like that really happened. And, you know, it just, it, like, really, like, boosted the way people were, like, very aware of sharks. The idea of the shark, basically. Yeah. (laughs) As, like, a thing that, you know, if it gets inland and, you know, what happens most of the time with sharks is... They confuse us or something they bite right. and they're like Ugh. and they're like no that, that was wrong and swim away it's not often that they like just yeah thrash and you know
0: right because we um they like fat fatty mm-hmm. they like seals, seals a lot and we don't have enough yeah um so that's why usually if but we look like we are bitten it's usually a test bite
1: yeah
0: um that's why a lot of i think why a lot of surfers not a lot legs. but that a lot of yeah. attacks shark attacks have been on surfers because from beneath the looks surfboard like looks like a seal yeah
1: um so yeah so most of the time uh, they like take a chunk out of your leg and they're like bleh, and this they're, isn't like, what i want and swim they leave. away yeah um, which is why most shark attacks aren't fatal and then you have these people with these crazy gnarly yeah shark scars which we
0: see pictures of some actual mm-hmm. victims in the movie
1: we had a family friend who um had. I think he actually what happened is he had maybe a tumor removed from his leg, but because of the way they had to remove it it left like a crazy weird scar on his leg that he would just tell people it was a shark bite. And I think there that's was a period awesome. when I was a kid that I believed that he had been bitten by a shark and they're like, "No, dude, I so. would
0: totally take that opportunity and run with
1: yeah, it." Yeah, cuz he had like what it looked like it could have been a shark bite cuz it was just like one of those weird sort of like where they just clearly took a giant chunk of like Flash out of his leg for whatever reason, and yeah. then like the scar over was just like this void of like kind of like like a gap in the silhouette of his leg. So he used to tell people it was from a shark attack. I would
0: have. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Well, not awesome, but
1: that now, his, that
0: research is awesome. Now
1: we can say um, interesting.
0: And and Peter i was inspired by the attacks as well. Mm-hmm. Like that was an influence for him writing. Right. Um, the novel, as well as um, the situation that occurred on the USS Indianapolis, mm-hmm. which Quint references later in the film and is part of his backstory. Um, I
1: think I saw like a some sort of History Channel, like one of those docu reenactments. Me too. I remember the, watching like one of soldiers those. just in a boat, sort of like with sharks swimming around them. Yeah, or like a lifeboat. Like tons of sharks. Yeah.
0: Um. There is apparently like a really bad Nicolas Cage movie about the Indianapolis mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the fate of all those soldiers. Um, maybe scene. just the docudrama is what we should yeah. stick to.
1: As far as I know, it, it was hit by a, it delivered the the payload the the parts for one of the bombs. The
0: bomb, yeah.
1: And then on the way out, it got torpedoed. Yeah, the ship went down, and the guys who survived the initial sinking on lifeboats like basically were beset by sharks and starvation and mm-hmm. like sunburn like horrible horrible sunburn and, yeah
0: there were there were not a lot of survivors yeah correct
1: I yeah i don't yeah. think there was a ton
0: so pretty tough i mean imagine like you're fighting a war
1: mm-hmm.
0: like the worst war ever yeah you're on this like crazy secret of mission yeah because like, that
1: was part of the reason is nobody knew no one that could they were no there. one could
0: come help them yeah. yeah and then like this terrible thing happens and you're like stranded at sea and now and left sharks. to the elements and now there's sharks <laughs> like good god like awful crazy um but yeah that obviously comes up later in the film the very famous speech we will talk about the speech later there's a lot of um controversy surrounding it um yeah and now i think we can move into the background of the film itself what do you think sounds good okay So um, there's obviously uh, um, some other influences on both the novel and the film, aside from like historical ones like the Indianapolis and the New Jersey Mm -hmm. attacks. Um, One of the biggest literary influences is Herman Melville's Moby Dick, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in Quint's similarities to Captain Ahab. Um, In fact, in one of the early drafts of the screenplay for Jaws, Quint is introduced to the audience watching the 1956 version of Moby Dick. Um, And I think in that same draft of the screenplay, he actually dies the same way that Ahab dies in Moby Dick. Um, That obviously got changed later. Um, A couple other influences include Creature from the Black Lagoon, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in how the underwater passages are filmed in Jaws. Um, like from the shark's mm-hmm. point of view is a nod to um, the underwater shots of the lake and Creature from the Black mm-hmm. Lagoon when the monster or the gill man comes upon um, what's her face that lady it's that lady, leg lady, Flag lady <laughs> that's swimming around in the lagoon um, and Carl Gottlieb the screenwriter has also talked about um, in interviews that uh, the thing from another world and it came from outer space were influences um, when he was writing uh, the screenplay as well as when Spielberg was directing, um, mainly in how um, those two movies sort of keep their monsters off screen. Mm-hmm. And so Gottlieb and Spielberg drew from them a lot when they realized they were going to have to do the same with the shark
1: mm-hmm.
0: because the prop sharks weren't
1: the shark's not behaving properly. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, Spielberg has also cited Godzilla King of the Monsters as an influence. Um, particularly in how he figured out how to make you believe that something extraordinary um, involving like a monster of Mm -hmm. nature um, could actually be happening. Um, And Gottlieb has also mentioned that he and Spielberg referred to Jaws at times as Moby Dick meets an enemy of the people, the play by Heinrich Ibsen. Um, That play follows a doctor who figures, out that a small town's famous hot springs are contaminated Mm -hmm. and he ends up getting shunned by the town when he tries to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we see that play out in sort of the politics of Amity Island. So as to the pre-production of the film itself, um, things really got started essentially when um, Universal producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown each read um, the novel Jaws by Peter Benchley independently of each other. Um, Brown had come across it after reading Cosmopolitan, um, w- which was then edited by his wife Helen Brown, um, where a short description of the plot concluded with the sentence "might make a good
1: movie." <laughs> I'm gonna put that in my summary. Right. And might make
0: might a make, make a good movie. movie. Hope someone from Universal <laughs> sees that. <laughs> Because someone did. Mm-hmm. Um, each of them, Zanuck and Brown, read the book over the course of one night and thought it was the most exciting thing they had read. And so when they realized they had both read it, they teamed up uh, to purchase the rights um, pre-publication of the novel for about $175,000, which today would be $1.1 $1. 1 So a pretty good yeah. deal for Benchley.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That um, these days in particular, that, that was kind of. Deals don't happen too no, often. No. Um, Brown later said that he had, uh, or that, I'm sorry, that had he read the book a second time, he never would have per, uh, pursued the film because of how difficult certain sequences would be to mm-hmm. film. Um, so I guess for all of us, it's lucky that he yeah. did not read it a second <laughs> time. Uh, John Sturgis was the initial choice for director um because of his work directing the old man in the sea from 1958 he was not interested so then they offered it to Dick Richards who had directed a film the previous year called the, the Culpeper Cattle Company um and both Zanuck and Brown really enjoyed that film but when Richards was brought in for initial talks he kept describing the shark as a whale <laughs> you yeah, know on the whale text <laughs> yeah And so Zanuck and Brown got really pissed at him. um, And they essentially like dismissed him from this project entirely. And uh, you gotta laugh because how do you mix up the two?
1: When the whale attacks.
0: Yeah. And so it's at this point in our story that uh, young eager (laughs) curly haired (laughs) 26 year old Steven Spielberg enters the, the, the frame. Um, he had just directed his very first theatrical film, The Sugarland Express in 74, for Zanuck and Brown at Universal. Um, he was meeting with them and he saw the unpublished novel um, like on their desk or something or on mm. a table, wherever they were meeting. Um, he asked if he could read it. He was totally captivated by the story and then he pitched himself to direct Um, referencing a lot of similarities with his first uh, feature film which was a television movie called Duel Um, and Zanuck and Brown thought his pitch was really good so he was hired to direct in June of 1973 but during pre-production Spielberg started to get some cold feet worried that he would be typecast as the truck and
1: shark guy (laughs) what a weird (laughs)
0: I'm like, Stephen, I don't think that's a type. Yeah, yeah they're <laughs> going to
1: say that but he's the truck and shark guy. He's yeah. Like, like, okay, like, you made two movies, and they're going to reference <laughs> you by those yeah, two movies. Like,
0: calm down. Um, but he got so freaked out and in his head that he considered dropping the project in order to go direct Lucky Lady for 20th Century Fox. But when he talked to Brown about it, Brown convinced him to stay, assuring him that after he completed Jaws, he would be able to direct whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think either of them knew how true that statement would end up becoming. They're
1: like, yeah, sure, whatever, you can direct whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: So Spielberg remains on board. Universal set the budget uh, for the film at 3.5 million and allowed 55 days for production, which was scheduled to begin in May of 1974 at Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. And there was a lot of pressure um, to finish the film by the end of June in order to avoid um, conflict with the expiration of Universal's contract with the Screen Actors Mm. Guild. As we will see, they did not finish the film (laughs) by the end of June. (laughs) Um, So, Benchley, author of the novel, um, as we know, writes the first three drafts of the screenplay um as he promised um or as he got a promise from zanuck and brown that they would let him Mm -hmm. like be involved in the writing of the film i guess a creative control
1: ish type
0: of thing um spielberg suggested that they remove many of the novel's subplots particularly the subplot involving an affair between ellen brody and matt hooper (laughs)
1: that's weird
0: yeah Um, But he did want to remain true to the book's third act, which is the 120-page shark hunt. Um, And he also wanted to make the characters more likable. Uh, Spielberg has said a couple of times that when he read the novel, he was hoping the shark would win. (laughs) (laughs) Because the characters were just so Annoying. annoying, yeah. Um, He invites, he ends up inviting screenwriter John Byram to come and do a rewrite to incorporate these changes that he wants to see, uh, but he declined, as did the creators of Columbo, William Link, and Richard Levinson. Um, at one point around this time, Tony and Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Howard Sackler does an uncredited rewrite of the screenplay to incorporate um, Spielberg's changes and his characterization of brody particularly um that he would be afraid of the water mm-hmm. having um come from the urban jungle of new york um so spielberg then taps his friend carl gottlieb who was a comedy writer as well as an actor who was at this point working on the odd couple and he's you know he's like hey can you come work on the script and maybe add some levity to it like with your comedy background mm-hmm. so it's not like Full on, yeah, dark the whole time. Um, Gottlieb writes three pages of notes and expresses interest in the part of Meadows, uh, the editor of the paper. Um, he later auditions for that part and he gets it. Zanuck and Brown hire him initially just to do a one week script polish, mm-hmm. but then he ends up rewriting the entire <laughs> script. Um, actually
1: i wrote you a new movie
0: yeah um and he stays on for nine weeks of principal photography and he's writing the entire time um so a lot of times scenes would get finished the night before they were shot um and gottlieb would have dinner with spielberg and members of the cast and crew and they would all sort of go over what would make it into the film Mm -hmm. like it was literally they were writing it as they were making it kind
1: of thing interesting
0: um which is wild to think about
1: well, that's like uh, Blair Witch. They were like, we don't know how it's going to end, but here's some more directions yeah, for Yeah, it's
0: like guerrilla filmmaking.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, so a ton of the dialogue in the movie actually comes from some improv between the actors during mm-hmm. these dinners that would happen. Um, and then there would be like some polishes. Um, John Milius, a screenwriter, did a couple polishes, um, as well as Matthew Robbins and Hal Barwood, who had written Sugarland Express. Yeah. Um, And it was sort of during all of this work around that Spielberg wanted the death of the shark to be changed um, from the shark's death in the novel where it just dies from all the wounds it Mm -hmm. has sustained. Um, to the scuba tank explosion that we see in the finished film because he wanted that big, rousing ending Mm -hmm. um, that would give catharsis to the audience. And Benchley was really opposed to the idea at first. He hated that. He didn't think it was believable. I
1: mean, on paper, it sounds fucking ridiculous. Yeah.
0: And Mythbusters has proved that that would not have happened that way, at least. Um, But upon seeing it, Benchley concluded that, like, yeah, cinematically, that is the the Mm -hmm. better way to end um or to kill the shark rather um so do you want to tell us about some of the casting
1: that went on um and how we assembled our motley crew yeah so zanuck and brown uh wanted known actors in the three main roles um spielberg was like okay Um, But he did kind of like working with lesser known performers um, Mm. because he said stars, quote, stars bring up a lot of memory with them and those memories can sometimes corrupt the story. Somewhat anonymous performers will help the audience believe this was happening to you or me, which I agree with sometimes. Like there's certain actors where if I hear they're in something, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is going to be great. And then sometimes there are actors who can be very distracting. No, totally. I mean, it's that thing where
0: brad pitt is a very good actor Mm -hmm. but it's do you ever lose yourself in one of his performances yeah yeah. and i'm like like
1: always very aware i was like yeah brad pitt that guy's really weird
0: (laughs) (laughs) right like you reach a certain level and it's hard to see into the character
1: yeah so so i get that but i also get like having your sort of anchor
0: yeah and from a studio perspective you're like we want a name somebody. that sells tickets. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so the first cast they made was luring Gary, mm-hmm. uh, who was cast as Ellen Brody. Um, the non-affair having The non-affair having
0: version of it. The faithful version of <laughs> the Ellen. The
1: faithful version of Ellen. <laughs> um she uh was the wife of Universal President Sidney Scheinberg. Um She so you know who knows she was good I'm not gonna say it's nepotism she was good in it yeah um it's not like what's her face in uh, Indiana Jones oh Kate (laughs) Capshaw yeah
0: and Spielberg this is where he got the idea yeah he was like oh nepotism works and then he did it in Temple of Doom and it didn't work that was so
1: bad (laughs) Indy Indy <laughs> um, shout out though to uh, Short Round making a comeback. In, yeah, uh, don't think everything, I everything, everywhere, all at once.
0: I uh, I just watched it the, the, the original three Indiana Jones mm-hmm. the other weekend. I felt they're good summer movies. You yeah, know? no, I like them. Um, and I love Temple of Doom, but man, I
1: think my favorite is um, King Klock. <laughs> is uh, the third one Last Crusade? Yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway uh Murray Hamilton was cast as Mayor Vaughn. Yeah. Susan uh, Bacalini. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, she was actually a former stunt woman. Was cast <laughs> as Chrissy. R.I.P. R.I.P. Chrissy Wake. Up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's not going to this time
1: <laughs> or that time or that time. <laughs> uh Since you know she was cast because she knew how to swim and had you know. A past of like performing stunts and also was comfortable being naked, um yeah, while doing her swimming,
0: I think she posed in Playboy too, good for her at one uh twice, I believe, mm, good yeah for her. so she was comfortable,
1: yeah, she was like, yeah, film me naked, um, <laughs> unlike what's her face from uh well, no, apparently she was comfortable filming naked, they just replaced her butt oh yeah and uh, liquor man. man
0: yeah Nielsen was like nope that's not my butt that's not my- <laughs> and i believe she said that's not
1: my ass that's not my ass <laughs> um the role of brody was offered to robert duvall uh but he turned it down what which i it? think is smart yeah thinking about it now it's so tough to like know like know. what different things but you know
0: robert duvall just he's very gruff
1: he's very gruff and i'm trying to picture him back then because now i think of him as like the guy who's playing That's these dad characters and stuff but yeah yeah
0: like i don't know that he would have given us the softness
1: we need from mm-hmm. the brody character. yeah he would have been very like yeah yeah but um yeah so he turned it down um he wanted to play Quint.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that i more up his yeah. alley yeah yeah
1: uh charlton heston uh expressed interest in brody but spielberg felt it was too great he was like too grand for the <laughs> part <laughs> um roy schneider eventually became interested in the role because he overheard spielberg discussing uh having the shark like jump into the boat at a like he heard him talking about like different parts of the film at a party and he was interested um yeah spielberg was also hesitant about him because um, he thought he was going to play him a little too tough, similar to his role in The French Connection um, a couple years earlier, but Schneider convinced him that like he
0: he could, could do, do it. it,
1: which I think he succeeded in
0: very much so. Yeah.
1: Um, nine days before the start of production, they yep. still had no Quint <laughs> nor Hooper, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> imagine the stress one out of three main characters cast about a week out from production so oh, um man. they are offered quint to lee marvin and sterling hayden before zanuck and brown suggested robert shaw whom they'd worked with on uh, the sting uh, great movie shaw was offered the part but was reluctant to accept uh because he didn't like the book <laughs> he like read it and didn't like it um but his wife mary err um and his secretary is yeah his secretary. his secretary both yeah. i guess banded together and convinced him to take the part um, <laughs> apparently, this is not the first time they had done this as a pair,
0: yeah, they got him to take the role of red in um from Russia with love, which was like considered one of his best yeah.
1: so he he trusted their their judgment, <laughs> so he he agreed um and then uh, spielberg initially wanted john voight for hooper
0: i can't see it can't imagine i mean i know i know it would have been like young voight and sort of like prime voight but
1: still yeah um also names thrown around were timothy bottoms uh jan michael vincent kevin klein joel gray and (laughs) jeff bridges so Mm -hmm. not sure they knew what they wanted with hooper i don't think so (laughs) um other yeah so like all this is going around and then george lucas was actually the one who put forward um richard dreyfus who he had worked with in american graffiti um dreyfus originally turned it down um because he saw like the pre-release screening of his most recent work and was like kind of in like a sort of dark night of the soul (laughs) and thinking like he was a bad actor and stuff so um he He didn't want to take it, but um Spielberg talked to him and was like you you're you're a good actor and
0: like the irony is that when that movie ended up coming out that he was so freaked out about like he got great reviews
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah the the movie was the apprenticeship of duddy Kravitz um he thought he was a horrible, i've never seen that movie. I've never seen it either, but I want to know what he thought was so horrible right about it. um but yeah once that was settled we start (laughs) filming
0: yeah so they began principal photography on may 2nd it ended up going all the way into october 6th of that year 1974 for a total of 159 days which was 104 days over schedule Mm -hmm. the one that was set by universal um it was filmed on location in martha's vineyard uh massachusetts the first movie to ever film in martha's vineyard um long island had been considered but it was ruled out uh martha's vineyard um was determined to have a more appropriate mix of lower to um, mid middle class
1: that's not the case now <laughs> no
0: but at the time um they felt you know that this was the right place that would give that vibe where like the tourist economy would kind of be everything and mm-hmm. it really would be devastated by the appearance of a shark
2: gotcha.
0: um uh ironically martha's vineyard is in the vicinity of cape cod which is one of the most shark infested points on the northeast coast
1: yeah there's a lot of they actually just last week closed the beach down because shark sightings. shark sightings wow so it's like apparently a really really sharky place
0: (laughs) well yeah and you put this this stat here about um in the last 10 years more than 280 great whites have been tagged in that area and mm-hmm. at least 5 attacks have taken place since 2012. Yeah.
1: And it might be more than that cuz i've seen some different um different metrics stats. like cuz i saw in Massachusetts alone like as a whole since 2018 there was actually 5 attacks. So oh. I don't know if they happened off the cape or not but it's like known for being very sharky. very sharky.
0: That's a hell of a lot of Great Whites. Yeah. yeah Almost they all, 300.
1: Basically the ones that come from the Caribbean Sea and down there swim up to the Cape. And that's about as far as they go. They won't really go too much, too much farther, farther than that. But well, like, they like, because they like warm water. They like warm water. And the Cape provides just this really nice, like, you know, we've seen it on maps where it's yeah. like, there's just this really nice inlet where they just, I think, hang out and have shark babies all summer. Oh, just chill. Yeah. Have you been to Cape Cod? I have not. Have you? I
0: mean, no, I've never been. A lot of my family has and has really enjoyed it up there yeah. you no
1: know. no it seems like it would be very nice it's just
0: yeah martha's for, vineyard seems great watch out for sharks right um right.
1: yeah no i was surprised to see like when you know because they filmed in martha's vineyard that it never came up that like you know they were right by shark central yeah because when i was explaining the plot of the movie to charlotte she was like does it take place on the cape and i was like not clear it's like long they island slash maybe like the cape, they don't really say where it is, but they filmed it out there. But they filmed it out there. Yeah.
0: You know what I actually discovered when I was looking at stuff to prepare for this episode? um Martha's Vineyard.
1: Not Martha Stewart's Vineyard. Not Martha Stewart's Vineyard, as I thought for many, many years. <laughs> yeah, it was hers. Yeah, I thought when they said Martha's Vineyard, it was like named for Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart, you know. And then you're like. But what happened when she went to jail? Yeah, is it no. her still? Apparently, it has nothing to do with her.
0: But um, it's close to Amityville,
1: mm-hmm. across the it's across yeah,
0: um, which is why the fictional town is Amity Island.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there's a there's a moment. It's when all it's when um like the town is getting ready to go out and hunt the shark, like mm-hmm. all the various fishing boats. You can see the Amityville Horror House. Oh,
1: that's cool. Way in
0: the background, that's really the cool. actual house. Um.
1: I hear they. It actually doesn't look that. Different. And it doesn't look. Yeah. They yeah. the the owners have changed it a lot to try and deter people from showing up. But yeah. If you know, you can easily. Yeah, you can it still out. find it. Um. But yeah, I always thought that was funny that they were out because they filmed in the ocean.
0: Yeah. In the, the first, summer, the first movie to ever do that. Yeah.
1: So I was just like, I, did they tell them that there's a fuck ton of sharks up there? Mm-hmm. Um. Apparently, you know, obviously nobody got hurt, but um, yeah, it was something that I would be personally aware of <laughs> i would want that in my contract yeah. to let me know be like for every shark bite two thousand dollars <laughs> like, <laughs> like
0: like i'm um, the bee, bee stings, stings <laughs> for tony todd
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> every shark bite oh god so yeah so that's a bit about the location um the vineyard they also liked the vineyard um because um the ocean in that area has a really sandy bottom that never goes below 35 feet Mm. um like for like a long while which probably like you have makes to go really far out
1: easy to run the track of the the shark that didn't work and
0: that was the thing it allowed the mechanical sharks to operate um while beyond sight of land Interesting. which was big for spielberg he did not want land to be in any of the shots yeah. in the third act to yeah. increase that and there's sense like of isolation when they
1: do start to they say okay we're gonna lead him into shore they're actually you can see they're not that far from they're land. not that far yeah
0: yeah um yeah and so obviously since this movie was was filmed on the ocean the first movie to ever actually do that um and that there was going to be actual underwater stuff special equipment needed to be built and that was developed by bill butler who was the cinematographer um and he built a lot of crazy technical stuff that i don't fully understand but i know one thing that he made was a sealed submersible camera box
1: because i guess they didn't have waterproof cameras no it didn't exist time. at the time yeah.
0: yeah um so as most folks know about jaws this was a pretty troubled shoot um being the first major motion picture to shoot on the ocean and it went over budget by about five million dollars and a lot of that was because of the problems with the mechanical sharks which
1: i by our today's money probably would have been oh yeah by I'd a be, lot more
0: i didn't calculate but i would be curious to know. i imagine
1: it would probably be something like Twenty million on yeah. a budget or something like that at least.
0: Let's can we so if seven hundred fifty thousand was one point one million.
1: What year was this? Seventy
0: four, seventy five. See what five million would be today.
1: Give me a second, everyone.
0: I'm gonna guess.
1: Okay, I wasn't far off. What did you say? I said twenty million, and it's actually it's like basically thirty million. It's twenty-seven million. million. Okay. so that's a lot of money that's a lot of money to
0: go over budget um spielberg has taken the blame for a lot of that particularly he blames his perfectionism and, and his naivete um quote i could have shot the movie in the tank or even in a protected lake somewhere but it would not have looked the same i was naive about the ocean basically i was pretty naive about mother nature and the hubris of a filmmaker who thinks he can conquer the elements was foolhardy but I was too young to know I was being foolhardy when I demanded that we shoot the film in the Atlantic Ocean and not in a North Hollywood tank.
1: I like that. Like when everyone talks about that, it's like as if there's only one water tank. Yeah, because people always be like, "Oh yeah, you know the tank that they film water scenes in." Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know there has to be more than one. There's, but more than they one. talk about it like there's just like one. There's just
0: one. I think there are like I think there's one like really huge one
1: that people use a lot. Yeah,
0: and then there are other smaller ones yeah. but so okay just thinking about him being young and sort of like being naive and owning that like he was 26 mm-hmm. he was I couldn't like
1: four years younger than me six years younger than you yeah
0: when he made this what movie. were they
1: doing at 26 not this <laughs>
0: not this it's just man um so yeah lots of production problems though um, there were often unwanted sailboats drifting into frame that would c- completely ruin shots. Take friend number
1: three. <laughs> friend and, number three. And it follows. Who paddles in the frame.
0: Yep, that was just all the time. Apparently, the cameras would get soaked and damaged by the salt water. The prop sharks malfunctioned and were caught in seaweed. The orca sank while the actors were on it, um, and not when it was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> um. Carl uh, Gottlieb almost got decapitated by the boat's propellers. Oh Richard Dreyfuss got stuck in the the cage um, and couldn't get out for a, a while. Um, almost everybody on the cast and crew got seasick at one point. Oh my god, it I was... get seasick
1: so easy. Do you? Yeah.
0: Are you in motion sickness in general? I, or is I have it just... really bad motion sickness, okay.
1: but seasickness will Hits, like, yeah. just instantly. Yeah.
0: The only time I ever really experienced it was... When I was studying abroad mm-hmm. studying abroad on a semester at sea, we were crossing the Atlantic mm-hmm. to get to Europe. And when we were smack dab in the middle of the ocean and the waves, mm-hmm. that's the only time I ever really
1: felt it. Yeah, we, when we were in Hawaii, we went on a submarine ride. And like to get to the submarine, you had to take a boat out, you know, because yeah. it didn't launch in the dock. And, you know, the boat ride out, like, I just puked everywhere, Ooh. like, badly. Like, and I remember I was laying down, and, you know, people were saying there was dolphins on the side of the boat, and I tried to lean up to see them, and my dad and was, was like, too don't. Because oh. he was like, if you if you look at those waves, you're just going to go just, again. It'll be the same thing. Yeah. I That's get, rough. I get really bad seasickness. That's
0: rough. You gotta hop top on that Dramamine. Yeah.
1: I took it once, and we actually ended up not going out because, like, the conditions by the time we got there were bad. Yeah. But I had already taken the Dramamine, and that stuff, like, knocks you
0: out. Oh, 100%. I'm like, is that the point? You don't, you're not
1: seasick yeah, because, because you're, you're passed you're, out? Because you're unconscious? Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, well, I can do some... Because I did that... Um, we did that river cruise for Thanksgiving. Yeah, you were Yeah, I mean, like, rivers don't really have a sort of rocking tide. I the guess way, that's true. The way that the ocean does, but no, I get very seasick. Yeah. So, that's, it's, it
0: happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that plagued the crew mm-hmm. a lot. Um, it was... And then it was just tough. Um, on average, they would work 12-hour days, but then, you know only about, like, four hours of that would be spent actually filming. Right. Just because of... Just,
1: like, hurry up and wait.
0: Yeah. On solving all of these problems and waiting for the right lighting and...
1: Dreyfus was saying, and I was watching the Behind the Scenes. Oh, yeah. And he was saying, he was like, yeah, we would just be waiting around or filming something and you would just hear, like, the shark is not working. Repeat. The shark is not working. And be like, all right and they were like running out of land scenes i guess to film to film cuz the they time. were like okay we'll just film all the land scenes and they were like really at the end of their rope with the land scenes like we have to film with the shark and it just wasn't
0: and it wasn't cooperating yeah god um yeah so so rough plus um there were also like um uh, some interpersonal things that were going on robert shaw was creating a lot of difficulties on the set um he was having a problem with alcohol At the time, um, he was binge drinking. Uh, He also had to leave frequently to go back to Canada because there was this whole tax evasion thing that was going on with him.
1: My, this is like, it sounds sadder (laughs) than it is. My grandfather, um, when he wanted to avoid paying like child support to my grandmother, like absconded (laughs) to Canada for a while. (laughs) That's just like a thing I remember about him. Just sort of a fuck you to the IRS. Yeah. Yeah, he ran to Canada to avoid paying for. His three kids with my grandmother. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> He's dead now. It's fine. <sighs>
0: hey, I mean, <laughs> you gotta do
1: what you gotta do. I, I guess. But that's the kind of or guy you he was. What you gotta yeah, do. That's like very much the kind of the kind of dude he was. But I I'm familiar with people absconding to Canada, to Canada. And, for monetary
0: reasons. <laughs> well, Shaw was one of them. Um, so that would cause obviously delays and and you know. Um, add more time to um his particular schedule and then another thing most people know is that he and Richard Dreyfuss did not get along during the filming of the movie they were at each other's throats apparently the origin of that feud was because um Dreyfuss was starting to get really good reviews for Duddy Kravitz
1: turns out you can act yeah weirdo
0: and, um, I think the reviews and the confidence and ego boost that gave Dreyfus started to piss off Shaw. Um, and so they started like nitpicking at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of back and forth. Apparently Dreyfus took his bourbon at one point and like threw it overboard when they were filming on the Orca and that caused a huge fight. <laughs> so Good for him, yeah um all the delays however did allow the script to be finessed like as we know Gottlieb was working on it essentially this entire time and the malfunctioning shark forced spielberg to shoot um much of the film so that the shark was only hinted at Mm -hmm. um like with the yellow barrels or when we just see the shots of um, the dorsal fin um and that concealment of the shark is widely regarded to have increased the film's suspense
1: no No, i've thought about that a few times like what would it feel like to be seeing the shark the whole time? And, like, you know, like the whole thing is, is like, you know, when you're in water, there's, you know, whatever's below water, you can't see and you mm-hmm. have no idea what's going on under there. And, you know, something brushes your leg and you're like, what the fuck was that? Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny. One time I was swimming at a beach in Florida with um, some friends because it was like Disney like college program people oh yeah and me and this one girl like bumped legs underwater and we both turned and looked at each other at the same time and just screamed <laughs> <at those faces. laughs> but um no i think but
0: that, really it was just e- the yeah we and
1: like i think we knew that we bumped each other's legs but for some reason like we just were like you know like, it was just was the a idea. very scooby-doo moment but um You know, and like I don't know if you've had this, where like you know you're standing in the shallows and like crabs pinch you. Yeah, and it really fucking hurts.
0: Yeah, I um I was stung by a jellyfish once at the beach. How
1: did that feel? That's like a fear. It was really
0: painful. Yeah. Um. Initially, it 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 feels like a bite. I didn't pee on it. Um. Apparently, that doesn't work as much as (laughs) As, the urban legend suggests. As friends suggest, um, it hurt to to like move my leg
1: interesting Do you know what kind of jelly- where were you was it like a was it just like the common jellyfish? <laughs> we were we were at hilton head i think okay so who knows what kind of i just know of like the jellyfish
0: yeah i'm i'm not 100 percent sure um and then
1: i know like obviously the ones in like tropical waters are like the boxer jellyfish which yeah those you. are super dangerous yeah um no, that's a big yeah. fear of mine is being stung by a jellyfish
0: it hurt like a fucking bitch. Um, the lifeguard gave me whatever. <laughs> Did the lifeguard pee on it? <laughs> what if, yeah, what if I was like, the
1: lifeguard gave me urine? <laughs> that would be a good start um, to a weird gay porno. Right? Oh, I'm
0: sure it's out there.
1: <laughs> I have a sting from a jellyfish. Check Pornhub. Okay. Um, Incognito Rover.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it hurt like a bitch, but I will say this. Um, after like getting the ointment or whatever the mm-hmm. hell the lifeguard gave me it went away pretty quickly yeah. and i was back in the ocean like that did same feel, day
1: was it like nerves like did you feel kind of tingly like did it feel like it fucked with your kind of endings?
0: kind of it felt like like a really bad burn mm. combined with like a, a really bad bee sting
1: right okay
0: um like it was hot like I, I remember that yeah. It was hot and because it was like an like, acute pain. They like
1: brush you and as they brush you they have these little barbs yeah. that basically like inject you with whatever their, yeah. their brand of ouch yeah, juices.
0: So I'm hoping that was the one and only time.
1: Yeah, I, when we were in Hawaii I <sighs> swam in that cove that you see at the beginning of Gilligan's Island. No way! Yeah, when they like pull away from shore there's like a cove there and you can swim there and I swam there and afterwards you know, when I was done swimming there, like, many years later, I realized, like, it's actually very full of, like, boxer jellyfish. Tons of jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I was like... <gasps> you escaped death. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... Yeah, that is a big one for me, because we get a lot of jellyfish at the Jersey Shore. Um mm. Especially in the summer, because they also follow warm water, so... Makes Days sense. when the water is warm enough to go in, you also have to, like, share you Gotta jellyfish. be careful. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know it's a thing yeah. but uh so yeah all this to say pretty rough production um interestingly some footage of real sharks was used um that was shot by ron and valerie taylor who are shark um That's photographers cool. yeah. and cinematographers um they went down to the dangerous reef in australia Speaking the of cool Australia, the
1: dangerous reef.
0: Right, and if the Australians are calling it that, like, do not go. um But they went, and actually, so the footage they got is the footage in the film when the shark attacks the the cage, mm.
1: the empty cage. Yeah, that's it. You can tell that's a real shark. Yeah,
0: it's totally real. Um, and they had used a dummy. To stand in for hooper when they were down there and i think a little person actor as well mm-hmm. to heighten the size of the shark, the shark okay. um the real shark um and it was such good footage Gosh. that it convinced spielberg to alter the script so that hooper would escape the cage and survive his attack oh
1: so he because was supposed the footage, to die yeah
0: because he was supposed to die because in the novel hooper dies in the cage Gotcha. and that was going to be the same in the film but because they had such great footage of the empty cage being attacked Spielberg decided to essentially save the Hooper gotcha. character.
1: Which is why he disappears for like the last 15 it's why, minutes. It's in the why he disappears.
0: Yeah. and Then pops back up after yeah. Brody's done the heavy lifting. Yeah. He's <laughs>
1: like, hey, this is a good job.
0: Yep. Um, so after principal photography concluded um, and Spielberg feared that he would never work again uh, because he was the first person to take a film shoot 100 days over schedule.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Um, they filmed some more underwater scenes at the MGM water tank, and stuntman Dick Warlock, uh, who played Michael Myers okay. in Halloween II, um, uh, he filmed those stunt underwater scenes, and uh, editor Verna Fields, the great Verna Fields, worked on about two-thirds of the film, restructuring some of the comedy scenes to be more terrifying and some of the horror scenes to be more comedic. Hmm. Um, and then they uh did two test screenings um and the result of them um convinced spielberg to alter two scenes and the first was when the shark reveals itself prompting the bigger belt line Mm -hmm. um scheider's reaction was lengthened um before he said the line and the volume of that line was uh increased because um in the test screenings the audience both audiences screamed so loud and so long at the appearance of the shark they didn't hear his line. Gotcha. Um and the second alteration they made was the scene where Hooper discovers Ben Gardner's body um in the the sunk fishing boat. They reshot that in verna Fields' swimming pool uh, where they added powdered milk and a tarp to make the water look murky. And the reason they reshot that is because um Spielberg wanted um one like, an earlier jump scare. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and with the head yeah. showing up. Because I think originally they don't find his body. Yeah, and they so just he, find the boat. Yeah, so. and so he wanted to change that. Which I think is why... And nobody Nobody talks. talks about, like, what happened to <laughs> him. like, well, do
1: you have the tooth? And no, but there was a guy's head
0: in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Not mentioned. Um, yeah, so... <sighs> Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, one of the most famous aspects of this movie, which is the score?
1: Score, yeah. One of the, you know, for a guy whose like entire career is um, iconic, it's fascinating to have like one of the more like to say like okay, this is one of the more iconic of the iconic of
0: the iconics.
1: Um, but famously, score composed by John Williams, mm-hmm. um, which won him his second Academy Award for Best Original Score, his overall tenth nomination. Um, the main theme now I'm not like a huge, like knowledgeable music person, but I me mean, neither. But that's why I made you talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> the main theme, uh, uses an alternating pattern of just two notes, which is an E and F, uh, or an F and F sharp. Um, I guess, depending cause it's like on piano, you can, yeah, they, they, you can it alter. depends, um, to like basically create suspense. Um, and the, like. You know, we all know it. You know, like it's become synonymous with like approaching danger. Um, it was originally uh, performed by a tuba player named Tommy Johnson. I played the tuba. Did you play the tuba? Yeah, that's what I did in band in high school. Oh, I was a trumpet guy. I did Just trumpet. Just for a year. I did trumpet and they were like, no, you're, you're not good at this. <laughs> Do the tuba instead. So I did.
0: Did you ever play the Jaws theme in band?
1: I know a lot of bands do. No, we never played it. Um, But um, it could have been you. It could have been me. Uh, But Williams views the theme as quote uh, intrinsical, relentless, unstoppable, grinding away at you just like a shark would. End quote. Makes sense. He uses a lot of rapid, progressive string playing throughout the the score, um, which he felt kind of evoked like pirate music or like swashbuckling <laughs> sounds. Um, Williams had previously collaborated with Spielberg for Sugarland Express, um, and said that the success of the score for Jaws like really just like jumpstarted his career. Cause this was before John Williams was John Williams. Yeah. Um, and he would go on to compose the score for all but five of Spielberg's Spielberg films. Um, which is crazy. Yeah um the soundtrack was released by mca records as an lp in 1975 and as a cd in 1992 (laughs) uh in 2002 versions of the score were released by deca to coincide with the film's 25th anniversary one of which was uh the recording of the score by the royal scottish national orchestra pretty intense
0: yeah so i um a couple weeks ago um the kennedy center was hosting a three-day celebration for john williams 90th birthday Mm -hmm. and on the first night they were showing et and the national symphony orchestra played the score live okay and i went to see that Mm -hmm. and um he came out at the end oh that's cool and it was the longest standing ovation i have ever been a part of Mm -hmm.
1: was he expected to come out he was not expected
0: to come out so the the middle the second day was like a tribute special Mm -hmm. um and where they were gonna play selections of his famous scores. And he was expected to be there obviously mm-hmm. with um, like a lot of other, like Spielberg was gonna come mm-hmm. and talk. And and then the third day they were screening Jurassic Park and playing the score live. Okay. Um, so he, yeah, he did a surprise performance after E.T. And like, it was close to 10 minutes that yeah. we were all just standing and clapping for him. It was That's really cool. cool. Um, iconic iconic as hell
1: iconic as hell
0: so um so yeah um obviously the big thing about the special effects in this movie is the shark itself um the initial idea that the producers had though was that they wanted to train a real great white shark (laughs) (laughs) No. that was quickly abandoned um, and then three full-sized pneumatically powered prop sharks were designed by art director Joe Alves and built by a team of 40 at, uh, Rowley Harper's motion picture and equipment rental overseen by the mechanical effects supervisor, Bob Maddie. Um, one shark was known as the sea sledge shark, which was a full body prop, um, without its belly. That was towed through the water by a 300 foot long line. Mm -hmm. And then the other two were platform sharks. Um, And one of them moved its head from left to right and had like one side removed, and the other moved from right to left (laughs) with the opposite side uncovered. Interesting. Um, 14 operators were required to control all of the moving parts of the prop sharks. Um, and at one point, the platform that was used to tow the, the, the side view sharks capsized as it was being lowered into the ocean, oh my God. and they had to bring in a team of divers to bring it back up. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So again, troubled production. Um, so that's a bit about the making of the film and the background of the film, um, a lot of folks are pretty familiar, I think, with a lot of mm-hmm. Jaws stuff. Um, but we'll do a quick roll call now, I think, which is a good chance to do um, thumbs up or thumbs down on performances and or commentaries about the characters. We'll probably talk more about the characters as well when we start to analyze the film. But just quickly, um, we've got our three leads, Roy Scheider as Chief Martin Brody.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> um,
0: Robert Shaw as Quint. Mm-hmm who based his performance off of, like, a real Martha's Vineyard, like, eccentric.
1: salty dog
0: type. Yeah! It was this local guy, his name was Craig Kingsbury, um, who actually plays the fisherman who dies at sea, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Gardner. Um, he was a real Martha's Vineyard farmer, he was a fisherman, and he was apparently, like, a cuckoo okay, as well. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I, I think he also incorporated some uh, mannerisms of a local um, mechanic uh, whose name was Lynn Murphy. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, then, of course, our third lead, Richard Dreyfus as Matt Hooper. Do
1: you, do you want to take
0: that one? Daddy <laughs> Hooper! <laughs> uh, he's just so... Well, you had texted me, mm-hmm. which I thought your observation was funny. What did you say I about... I said
1: that he, he really pioneered the... Uh hipster nerd look when he like hops off the boat in his sweater and his little (laughs) cap beanie and his glasses and he's like touting like his bag and his books ahead of his time yeah like he looks like somebody you'd see in portland
0: i definitely always had a crush on him in this movie Mm -hmm. when i was younger without realizing that's what it was Mm -hmm. and definitely still do
1: now Um, realizing what now (laughs) realizing
0: what it is um uh, and aside from that level of it, I do think, um, Dreyfus does a, um, some good work in this role.
1: No, it's a great role.
0: Um, so then after the three leads who, um, are co-listed at the beginning of the credits, we have, uh, co-starring Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody.
1: First person cast.
0: The first person cast. Um, my favorite moment with Ellen is, um, when she's telling him oh just they're just in like the pond just let them play or whatever yeah. and then she looks at that picture in the book yeah and she's like "Oh, get out of there oh, now yeah. <laughs> did you
1: hear your father oh yeah they're, they're on the boat he's like just sitting he's on the just boat sitting in the boat the dock, that's what it is and yeah. she sees a picture of a shark just like chewing through a pond. Yeah. <laughs> listen to your father get out of there now
0: um then we've got murray hamilton as mayor larry vaughn mm-hmm. um
1: good good sort of monopoly man jerk,
0: yeah you know.
1: his fucking his anchor suit yeah. i
0: can't
1: oh my god he, she wears on the beach yeah
0: <laughs> how about when he goes up to um i can't remember the he character's bu- name he bullies those people yeah he's in like, the water why aren't you in the water
1: yeah. you but, can't because he doesn't want to be yeah. also who cares they're on your beach exactly
0: um but he's good i feel like murray hamilton has played a lot of those kind of characters mm-hmm. in his career um carl gottlieb the screenwriter as meadows the newspaper editor mm-hmm. um he's fine yeah.
1: yeah
0: uh jeffrey c kramer as deputy Hendricks.
1: the guy's funny
0: he is funny he has such a like
1: he's like the doofus yeah like, just sort of
0: yeah he's he's um dewey riley before his time
1: yeah
0: <laughs> and um <coughs> susan baclany as chrissy watkins um the opening um sort of victim mm-hmm. of the film talk about her a little bit then we also have Lee Fiero as Mrs. Kintner and Jeffrey Voorhees as Alex Kintner
2: mm-hmm.
0: um fun fact about them oh. several decades after Joss came out Lee Fiero who played Mrs. Kintner walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that their menu had an Alex Kintner sandwich so she commented to the staff that she had played his mother many years oh ago The owner of the restaurant then ran out to meet her when he heard this, because the owner of that restaurant was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees, who had played her son. That's
1: adorable. And they
0: had not seen each other since they filmed the movie together. That's so cute. Yeah. Isn't that awesome?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, just imagine him running out,
0: right? Um, Then we have Chris Rabello as Michael Brody, the older of Mm -hmm. Martin and Ellen's sons, and Jay Mello as Sean, the younger of their children uh craig kingsbury the local eccentric as ben gardner robert nevin as the medical examiner uh peter benchley author of the novel making a cameo as the reporter jonathan philly as cassidy and ted grossman as uh the estuary victim estuary. i think that it um they mean
1: is that the guy who got ripped off the dock
0: yeah gotcha. yeah
1: when they like throw the hook to like Cow heart or whatever into the ocean yes and like, yeah like, this
0: will work right The
1: yeah he just rips the dock off yeah which i do find that scene effective yeah Cause, yeah because you think you're safe on like docks and that yeah. sort of thing and then he's like don't look
0: back just swim just swim oh that is kind of freaky um speaking of fun production notes a couple of other ones that i thought would maybe be worth mentioning um The question of who deserves credit for Quint's famous monologue about the Indianapolis disaster has caused um, a lot of controversy over the years Hmm. um, as to who deserves it and where it should go. Um, According to Spielberg, it was a collaboration between Sackler, um, who had done the uncredited rewrite, Mm -hmm. um, and he is the one that came up with the backstory of Quint being a survivor of the wreck and wrote a short speech. Um, Milius, um, who expanded the speech into a monologue, And then actually Robert Shaw himself, who rewrote certain parts, because he was actually uh, a novelist and a playwright.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, So I think this has become the general consensus now that it was sort of like a group effort. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, In terms of other uh, notes about writing and credit, uh, the very famous, you're going to need a bigger boat line was not in the script at all. It was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider. Yeah. So he was on it um at spielberg's direction the art department kept the color red out of the scenery and the wardrobes so that the blood from the attacks would be the only red element in the film and therefore cause a greater shock
1: there's the only other place i think that i are they red the tents the like changing tents
0: the changing tents on the beach red and white white.
1: yeah i mean you can't get everything
0: yeah but like a conscious effort is yeah um, as many folks know, the mechanical sharks were nicknamed Bruce by the crew after Spielberg's lawyer Bruce Raymer, you know a shark a shark yeah. mm-hmm. a shark in the world, blood in the world. Mm-hmm. um crew members who were disgruntled with the very trouble production, particularly the problems with the prop sharks, nicknamed the film flaws
1: <laughs>
0: while they were working
1: flaws working on flaws. <laughs>
0: Uh Spielberg was not present for the shooting of the final scene in which the shark explodes um because he had gotten word that the crew was going to throw him in the water after the scene was done um so he bolted um I believe he set everything up mm-hmm. the night before or he something He was
1: like all right film it in the morning Filmed, bye yeah
0: and then didn't go up um and because of that it has now actually become a tradition for him to be absent when the final sh- uh scene of one of his films is being shot um it was kind of cute when john williams first played that iconic main theme for spielberg um spielberg thought it was a joke (laughs) and um uh he was like all right but what's the real one yeah um obviously later and since then he has said that without williams score the film would only have been half as successful that is a big part of it um the sound of the shark attacking the boat uses sounds from the truck in duel um i think like repurposed a little bit and the shooting star that we see um during the night scene on the orca was actually real it's not special effects
1: yeah this is the first time i really noticed it because it's like kind of blink and you think like yeah there's some sort of flaw in the film or something
0: right like oh like just one of those weird little blips yeah. but uh but yeah um so let's talk a little bit about how the film has been received um or um, its release and reception. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about sure. that? While I eat this very saturated <laughs> gummy shark.
1: So uh, Universal spent about 1.8 million on marketing Jaws. Uh, based on our references, that should be like probably around 10 or 12 million, maybe something 100. like that, um, including like national television promotion alone cost almost a million dollars at 700,000. Um, Starting the previous October, Zanuck Brown and Benchley uh, circulated like doing like, you know, the television circuit, um, you know, going to radio shows, promoting the paperback edition of the novel, the upcoming film, because the studio and the publisher had agreed to like a shared logo that would appear well, this logo oh no nope. oh oh, what the hell yeah well <laughs> so they agreed to a shared logo that would appear both on like the posters of the film and the paperback edition of the book um a poster image of a shark approaching alone I kind of yeah it works better on mine it works better idea. on it. Like, if, as long as i don't point at it yeah anyway this one here of a shark approaching a lone <laughs> female swimmer uh from beneath became the centerpiece it was designed by roger castle uh, it's considered one of the great movie posters of of cinematic history Uh, tie-in merchandise included (laughs) t-shirts, plastic (laughs) tumblers, a book about the making of the movie, beach towels, blankets, toys, shark costumes, hobby kits, games, (laughs) posters, iron-ons, sleepwear, water pistols, and a shark tooth necklace. (laughs) Whew. Positive test screening, success of Benchley's novel and uh, marketing pushed like excited theater owners. Um, and the plan was to release the film to 900 theaters, but Universal chairman Lou Wasserman wanted people to have to travel to see the movie. So he cut down the number <laughs> of the initial release screens. So weird, right? I don't know what that is besides, like, no, I want people to make an effort to go. Like, that's insane, especially yeah. at this time because, you know, as we all know, big films like this did not come out in the summer no before this movie so i feel like it would be insane to turn down a 900 screen yeah release in the summer like it would be the equivalent today of like turning down a 900 screen release for like a january film
0: yeah yeah
1: don't don't know what he was going maybe he had a deal with like car companies (laughs) Oh, like yeah. the michelin the he michelin was, stars started. he was getting a
0: cut from
1: that's how the michelin stars yeah
0: because um, they wasn't because they wanted the tires to get worn out Yeah, faster? they
1: wanted people to you have to drive places so they would star restaurants based star on rest- like how how much effort you should put into traveling to them <laughs> hilarious um so that happened, it was weird, (laughs) but I guess people did travel to see it um, because several hundred theaters remained booked for screenings of the film um, like throughout the summer, the highest amount ever up to that point. Um, At the time, wide releases were associated with movies of like dubious qualities, particularly films of like the grindhouse circuit. The traditional studio release involved um, like premiering in a few big cities and then slowly forwarding prints to other locations. the success of The Godfather sparked a conversation about changing release practices, but like nothing really happened yet until Jaws. Yeah. Um, it opened June 20th, 1975 on 465 <laughs> screens. Hopefully you could drive to one. Right. Um, so Wasserman wanted you to. Um, <laughs> later it expanded to 700 theaters um, on July 25th and then 950 by mid August. Um, And it was seen by an estimated 67 million people um, on its initial run.
0: Um, That's a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Now, the total worldwide gross was 472 million against its 9 million budget. And we're just (laughs) going to throw that in to see what that would be today. Today. What did we say it
0: was?
1: 1975? 1975. So that is the equivalent. That's got to be, like, insane. Um, Hold on. in USD and not, like, euros. What if we gave you, like, yen or something, like, real often? <laughs> so the inflation calculator says… Like calculator. What did we say it was? 475? Four
0: seventy-two. Is- 472. This is
1: becoming more work than it's worth, but I want to know. <laughs> Okay, that would be the equivalent of $2.5 billion. Whoa! So it made a lot of money.
0: It made a lot of money.
1: Um, it was the first film to ever earn $100 million. Um, 14 consecutive weeks as the number one film at the box office, which is unheard of in today's environment of, like, constant yeah. summer blockbusters. Um it was the highest grossing film of all time at the time, beating the Godfather until it was surpassed by star Wars two years later. Um, and adjusted for inflation. It's the second most successful franchise after star Wars and the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. It's insane that like we only hit the billion Mark, like not that long ago. And now to make that much money, it's like only the seventh highest grossing film. Isn't that wild? It is crazy. (laughs) Um, The positive reviews praised the suspense and horror elements, um, Spielberg's deft direction, the performances of the three leads, particularly Robert Shaw, so I guess he won the...
0: He won (laughs) out with Dreyfus.
1: (laughs) Um, The technical effects, the storytelling, and how concealing the shark served to make it all the more terrifying. Um, A couple negative reviews claimed that many of the characters did not elicit sympathy to the viewer. So. (laughs) I guess Spielberg (laughs) failed in some regard Uh, to making the characters likable. It was also claimed to be too violent or gory for PG rating um, and that only the second half was interesting. Disagree. Um, This was before PG-13, right? This was before PG-13. So Um, you could either do PG or R.
0: Yeah. Uh, Because Spielberg, interestingly enough, another Temple of Doom is what prompted folks to be like, we need something in between. Yeah um because that was pg the yeah <laughs> and basically the people were like what the hell yeah um so they had to they had to come up with a, a middle a ground. middle ground step there
1: um yeah i mean like i never really unless it's like gratuitous i never really bother with negative views that say like oh it was too violent or too gory but yeah. like in this case i can see how they'd be like what the fuck this is a pg movie like <laughs> you know yeah i could see it but um Ultimately, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 97, a Metacritic of 87 out of 100, an IMDb of 8.1, and a Letterboxd score of 4.5, 4 out of 5, rather.
0: I'm surprised that um, IMDb is as low as it is.
1: IMDb, I feel like they've gotten better, but it's very much like lots of trolls can like really yeah. sort of like imdb like does as far as i know a lot of their ratings are crowdsourced like anyone can go in there like rotten tomatoes separates out like
0: they have the critic and yeah audience. the critic
1: score and then the audience score and they tend to sometimes be very different but like uh imdb like anyone can go in and rate a film
0: yeah i don't even think you need an account with them to, yeah to rate a film maybe you do now but yeah. you didn't use you to. didn't use yeah um so yeah so I that was all very good that definitely brings us to some analysis right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so some analysis of the film um you know there's a lot that's been written about this film there's a lot that's been discussed about this film over the years um I think we will we hit on some big ones in the Mm -hmm. points that we have brought up um But we obviously can't get to everything because it's just it's too much
1: yeah
0: um but one thing to definitely bring up because i think this is really interesting um is what the why the theme is so successful Mm -hmm. um and why that has become so iconic um because as we know it is widely regarded as one of the most recognizable cinematic pieces of all time Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a couple different interpretations that have been put forth as to why it's so effective Mm -hmm. um one that comes from music scholar Joseph Cancellaro is that um, the two note expression that we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in William's score um, is meant to mimic the shark's heartbeat okay. and that there's something primal in us that sort of recognizes that the as rhythm. like a, as the rhythm of yeah. that as like a threat. Okay. And that's why it sort of gets under everybody's skin. Um, in a similar interpretation to that, scholar Alexander Tilsky says it um actually suggests human respiration okay. and that's why we identify with it mm-hmm. because it as it up. speeds yeah. up that is a signal of anxiety mm-hmm. or stress um Tilsky has also argued that the score's strongest moments are that um when it splits and ruptures um meaning like the dramatic cutoffs mm-hmm. like when Chrissy is you know yeah. being back and forth and the music is blah, 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 and then she gets pulled under and it's silent yeah And he argues that it's actually in those moments that the film is the most terrifying, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, In fact, the relationship between sound and silence in the film has been studied a couple different times um, and replicated for how it effectively conditions the audience to start associating the shark with its theme. Mm -hmm. And then it exploits that association when the shark appears with no musical accompaniment mm-hmm. at the film's climax, yeah. you know, with the chum scene. Yeah. And that's, and it's been argued that that's why that scene is so effective because we're not anticipating it because we're not hearing the music right. and we've been tricked basically. Interesting. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, this was another, interesting analysis that you put in yeah i saw this come up a couple times do you want to tell us about this one Sure.
1: so something that came up a lot um in the past couple years was that people were comparing the responses to the COVID 19 pandemic to like the way the town responds to the shark attacks um Mm -hmm. because you have like these obvious deaths you know like they're very like clearly caused by something but the economic like stakeholders of the city the mayor the like you know business owners and that sort of thing like want to downplay the threat they want to avoid like a public panic because they don't want to lose revenue for their resort town which like relies on this um and like a lot of like the things they were saying in the film like people were like you could just take out shark and insert you know pandemic or covid or something and like it's the same principle of like well, you know, I don't know, like, you know, it's, I see the shark attack, but I think it's probably fine. And we can't close the beach on 4th of July weekend. And, you know, like that was the, the economy, thing. the
0: economy, right, the
1: economy and like COVID happened right around the time of like Easter weekend, which I know isn't like a huge, like, you know, buster for, you know, revenue, but like, that was a big thing as everyone was like, Oh, we want to be able to do Easter. How are we going to do Easter? You yeah. Know. Um, so a lot of people were drawing that comparison in the past few years that like, it's basically the same principle.
0: Well, and like, and think about the idea of like something that targets people indiscriminately, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like COVID can affect anybody. Yeah. The shark's victims are everyone. all different. Yeah. yeah it, it eats everyone. Um, and it's just sort of like, that's just what a virus does. Mm-hmm. That's just what a shark does. Right. It's how we respond to it that matters. Right.
1: Right.
0: Um, you know, a sad little addendum to this, um, Lee Fierro, mm-hmm. Mrs. Kintner, she passed away from COVID in oh, 2020. That sucks. That's a kind of a dark connection yeah. to this interpretation. And yeah.
1: At least she got to see what's his face before. Yeah. Like, before she went out. Um, yeah. So. So that was one thing. Um, and then yeah. I saw a lot of people talk about the film as like sort of a metaphor for <laughs> the constant fear of communism in the 70s. Which
0: is so interesting. Yeah.
1: So, like the shark being, you know, the communists like sort of invading this town, which is not even like proposed by anything. Like, there's no indication, you know, nobody ever says at any point, like, oh, what if the Russians sent the shark or that sort of thing? It's yeah. just like the way people viewed like this kind of invasion film as like. Oh, the communists, or you know, whatever, and maybe it's something to do with like you know submarines, because that was the thing at this time, like communist submarines that were armed with nukes. Um, but people have like talked about that. Um, they've also talked about like the three different leads and like the different walks of life and the different time periods they represent. I think that I think is an interpretation that really interests
0: me, mm-hmm. um, and that uh shout out to the podcast now known as you are good
1: yes mm-hmm.
0: um and their very first episode they covered jaws um and looked at some similar mm-hmm. um because in a lot of ways this movie is about like i think different modes of american masculinity mm-hmm. um that are symbolized in the three leads yeah Um, and like, the competition between, Mm -hmm. like, kinds of masculinities Mm -hmm. and, like, kind—and, like, the generational, like—there's, like, a work ethic thing there almost, like—
1: Well, because you have, like, Quint, who's, like, represents the sort of, like, greatest generation fought in World War II, very much part of, like, the New Deal like, you know, we can call it now, I guess, like, socialism, quote, unquote, like, endeavors that provided social services uh, for the country. And then you have Hooper, who's like this, like, comes from an affluent family, very, like, educated, um, Mm -hmm. works with like a, like, academic institution and has his own way of doing things. And then you have Brody, who's like, you know, the law and order cop from New York and every man yeah and who has his way of doing things and it's like you know people view like the two of them together as like oh yeah it's like the modern day sort of like form of masculinity overthrowing like the old you know because they survive and quint doesn't And quint doesn't um sort of like overthrowing the old uh ideas of like you know american masculinity and and the roles of, of men and that sort of thing
0: and I think there's something there too, and like maybe some of like the the reason there's so much tension between Quint and Hooper is that Quint kind of recognizes that he's a dying breed, mm-hmm. and you know that Hooper is sort of like this next step, you know, because he's he's bringing in this science and this technology. Yeah, he brings and in the cage. And yeah, and he's like, what the is cage this for? And the the compressed air mm-hmm. and all of that, and and you know, Quinn's like, and there's like some resistance to that. But um there's also kind of this sense that like, he also accepts that, like, it's time to make right. way for the next, yeah, like, he I lets feel Hooper
1: like... drive the boat. And right, like, you know, in the end, like he, they, they are using like Hooper's equipment to like, you know, because he's like, hey, if we tag it, i can use i have stuff on board that can kill it and he's like okay and you know he's like starting to like acquiesce basically
0: right because i think quinn like i don't know do you think he intended to come back
1: like no i don't i don't get the vibe that he did i mean like just because of the like very like who knows and like like just the way he was just like really didn't have a plan and just waited to like shoot the shark every time it popped up and then like let it kind of lead them out to sea farther and farther Mm -hmm. you know and he seemed like a little too into like the way he was dying yeah (laughs) when he slides down and like machetes the shark and he just keeps like doing that and um like particularly i think the scene where he hops into the um fishing chair like Mm. knowing that he's trying to catch like a 25 foot shark like you're not going to do that from it's not going to be accomplished a sport fishing chair and you know like what was he thinking there and like what was the sort of mentality behind that but
0: yeah i think he either like knows he's going to die or like intends to die Mm -hmm. um and yeah and it's interesting that like you know at the end of the day what is it's sort of like Quint's old school methods and Hooper's new school methods together with Brody firing that bullet right. is what
1: does it, does it yeah. in the end. And then, yeah, because originally, you know, as you've said, Hooper wasn't supposed to survive. Like they did no. that kind of as an accident. So you could make the, you know, assumption then that like Brody is kind of like the inheritor of these two different modes of like very opposite ends of the spectrum yeah people that he's now you know paddling back to shore having like sort of absorbed that so
0: and changed because of it yeah yeah i like that yeah um yeah and so i mean obviously like there's a lot of man versus nature Mm. going on in jaws um that looks at what happens when humans um try to you know shift the natural world to fit their needs um Mm because the shark is being a shark yeah um it lives in the water we visit the water Mm
1: -hmm. it happens it
0: happens um but yeah it's it's the villain in this piece um the film scholar Andrew Britton has looked at the death of the shark in the film you know its explosion um and interpreted it as um the annihilation of evil itself calling it one of the most cathartic effective moments in film history especially for a contemporary audience that was wrangling with a post-watergate post-vietnam mm-hmm. america that was looking to believe that one man could still make a difference
1: mm-hmm.
0: um which i think is an interesting interpretation Yeah. Um, peter briskin a different film scholar counters this a little bit saying that um the film actually maintains that post Watergate cynicism in that the true villain of the film is yeah. the mayor. Um, but he does concede, however, that unlike most films of the new Hollywood movement that were very focused on us versus them or us versus the man, mm-hmm. Jaws does not pit the heroes against those authority figures of Amity. Mm-hmm um but rather this menacing primordial force that targets everyone regardless of socioeconomic standing
1: yeah i can see that like i like i definitely think the mayor is like really again because the shark's being a shark you know right like it's kind of like a just chaotic you know um villain that's not really like uh, malignant in any way the way that the mayor is like knowingly putting people in danger and like doing it for profit um mm-hmm. so i see that as like the mayor is to me like he's like the main villain like but i also see like yeah like that crazy explosion is like extremely cathartic at the end because like you know it's like a like you know a full back two-thirds of the movie is them hunting the shark and like mm-hmm. it comes close to the boat and they have a scuffle with it and it goes away and all this other stuff. So I can see that being like, you know, this is sort of the bombastic, like, okay, like it's definitely, we definitely took care of the, the right. evil thing.
0: Yeah. We've earned, which is interesting. You say that, because apparently one of the the drafts at one point, like, after they would kill the shark, they would blow, you know, same mm-hmm. with the blow um, and Hooper would pop up. Um, apparently one of the endings was that they would look up and they would see multiple fins like surrounding them in the water. That would be
1: an interesting, that's like a whole different um, Yeah. And then Spielberg
0: was like, no, it's too dark. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That would, that would be a whole different, that would like probably lean more towards the like communist sort of like. Yeah. In, you know, idea. Like
0: they're always out there. Yeah.
1: Or there's more, you know, that was the first.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah yeah so um and then other readings of the film over the years have cited the shark as um meant to be a manifestation of death and that the town yeah Yeah. and that the town's denial of its presence is representative of american culture's attempts to sanitize and suppress death and dying which was happening a lot post-vietnam yeah because they had seen such ugly stuff and so there was a very sort of like anti-death
1: push in pop culture at that right. point okay that's interesting yeah i could see
0: that um so it's i thought like that...
1: if somebody took michael myers and was just like no that's not happening right and like reacted to it that way
0: yeah um so like... your good buddy mike <laughs> good as it were <laughs> about to have his final throwdown <laughs> yeah, with laurie this uh mike this fall <laughs> um so yeah so Just some potential analyses. Obviously, there's plenty more out there. Um, The movie's been around for, what?
1: Ever. 40 years (laughs) at this point, so
0: tons and tons of ways one to of look at One of these days
1: it. I'm going to do those viewings where they like show it in a bay and you're on a little boat. I
0: want to go so bad! My big fear
1: though is that they would totally fuck with people and like put people in the water to like bump your boat. There <laughs> is
0: one that does that.
1: <gasps> I, I would lose, just the, even the possibility of that happening might be kind of like a,
0: I don't know guys. <laughs> I have, I've, there's one apparently, I don't remember where, so could be whatever mm. one you find, but there is one where I guess they would have um, some some scuba people mm-hmm. go into the water and like tug on you and like shake your thing at certain moments. I would lose
1: my—somebody would would probably end up getting killed because I kicked them or like I would break my leg on their yeah. scuba tank wouldn't it be so fun though it would be no i'd be definitely down to do it i think it would be a lot of yeah it would be it it would be freaky it would definitely be a thing where i'm like all right if anyone (laughs) yeah jaws on the water yeah
0: we gotta find somewhere that still does that i
1: think a lot of like places with like bays and stuff do it yeah yeah they probably do but um and like i know like that's like there's a place by me that does like movies in the park and i think they show Jaws in the summer but it doesn't have the same sort of
0: yeah you gotta you gotta like at least watch it on the beach you know yeah speaking of being scared though this is a good segue to one good scare um which is where we each say what do we find to be the most frightening moment of the film Mm -hmm. in question um do you have
1: one yeah so my thing for me and i think this really played into you know as you know i don't do <laughs> bodies of water yeah. um and i honestly think like <laughs> i as i was like re-watching this and going through stuff i was like i think it might have been jobs like thinking back <laughs> on it because like it was the first one of the fr- you know i saw i experienced it very young and the thing that i always go back to is the shark pov shots mm. um the the chrissy one is pretty scary but the one that really gets me is the one where boy it's got just because there's so many legs there and he's just swimming around and like that's what i just always imagine anytime i'm in water like we'll up them. to my hips and i'm like well there's definitely a shark down there <laughs> <laughs> swimming around looking up at me um but those shark pov shots always get me
0: yeah i think um mine is is also, Alex's mm-hmm. death—it's—it's it's that moment where you see like him and the raft collapse mm-hmm. in on itself, and like you see the fins come out yeah, over the water of, yeah. and do like the um
1: the twirl, like the twirl whatever. thing yeah.
0: that an, that a shark would actually do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that gets me every time. Yeah, it's I find so that really scary and quick because it's like I think that's what it would look like. Mm-hmm um and then a very close second is um when they realize the shark has gone into like the pond they call it where michael is and it and it comes up at the water to get the that poor guy Mm -hmm. that was trying to help the kids and it doesn't break the surface of the water but we do see it a Mm -hmm. little bit i've always found that really scary yeah
1: I also, the scene where the boat's collapsing and that he just keeps trying to climb to higher stuff freaks me out just because it's like, okay, like you've only got about five minutes here before you're you're in the water.
0: And then that's it, man. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot to choose from in this movie. Yeah. Now, this will be interesting, um, our our next segment is the view from the closet, mm-hmm. where we take uh, a moment or two to think about how we could view the film from an LGBTQ plus lens.
1: It's a very homoerotic film. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, to be perfectly honest, I know for a fact that there is Quint Hooper fan fiction. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, yeah, I mean, you see it, right? I think anytime there's sort yeah. of like, people who are butting heads. Right, and like... especially
1: the scar sharing scene, like that's mm. just so very intimate. And like in so many other things, a similar scene has been used as like that exact type of subtext a lot of the times. Well, and
0: because it's where they connect for the first time, yeah. really, and start to put aside that animosity.
1: Yeah, and they're like, you know, pulling pieces of their clothes off to show like, this is my scar and like that sort yeah. of, you know, sitting very close to each other. and
0: yeah they uh, they're sitting close to each other like their legs i think overlap at yeah one point. they put their legs across each um, other because cooper they... shows us his chest yeah and it's sort of like you know like they're they're talking about their physical scars right but it also leads into that like
1: emotional the emotional yeah. scars
0: you know and we get Quinn's speech. Yeah. She would get
1: When Hooper's like right here. Yeah, she Marianne. Broke, she, broke she broke my heart. heart. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and it's sort of this literal like exposition of trauma. And, mm-hmm. Um, and then interestingly, sort of like right after that, and this like moment of group bonding, the shark attacks. Right, and the boat begins to sink.
1: Yeah,
0: um, and it's like almost as if the
1: shark knew. Yeah. It's like, it's just gay shit going on. Up yeah. There. <gasps> the shark is homophobic, <laughs> you guys. We cracked it. Bummer.
0: Okay. Now it's time to move into our last main segment of the episode, which is legacy, legacy. What is a legacy? The impact of the film. Um, as such an important film, it has quite a legacy. So we'll talk about it in... Pieces. Um, obviously, awards legacy um, was a big one. Uh, Jaws won the Academy Awards for Best Editing, Score, and Sound. It was also nominated for Best Picture, but it lost to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, Spielberg supposedly always resented that he was not nominated for Best Director.
1: Well, he did go a million dollars and days over budget. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, so, Maybe they were uh, a little a bit aware of that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And uh, he won eventually. Yeah. So everything worked out. Um, John Williams, of course, won that Oscar for his score. He also won the Grammy, the BAFTA, and the Golden Globe that year as well. Um, the movie won favorite uh, movie at the People's Choice Awards, and received numerous nominations at the British Academy Film Awards, the Golden Globes, uh, the Directors Guild, and the Writers Guild. The American Film Institute ranks Jaws as the 56th greatest American film of all time. Uh, the Shark as the 18th greatest movie villain of all time.
1: <laughs> I love how specific they get with this.
0: Though. Yeah. The line, you're going to need a bigger boat, as the 35th greatest movie quote of all time. Uh, the score, as the 6th greatest of all time. And the film, as the second most thrilling of all time, behind Psycho. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Bravo, um on their big special, um, the 100 scariest movie moments, crowned Jaws as the number one scariest movie moment. And I believe specifically it, it was the the reveal. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, A bunch of other publications large and small have included Jaws among their list of greatest films ever made, including the New York Times, the Chicago Film Critics Association, Empire, Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, Film 4, Total Film, TV Guide and Vanity Fair. In 2001, the Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the National Film Registry, recognizing it as a landmark horror movie and calling it the first summer movie. In 2006, the screenplay was recognized by the Writers Guild as one of the top 100 of all time. And in 2012, the Editors Guild listed the film as one of the 10 best edited of all time. Martha's Vineyard, uh, where the film was shot, uh, hosted a 30th anniversary Jaws Fest celebration in 2005 and again in 2012. Also in 2012, the documentary The Shark is Still Working premiered. Uh, It was a fan-made film that featured interviews with cast and crew and was narrated by Roy Scheider and dedicated to Peter Benchley, who had passed away in 2006. For the 40th anniversary of the film in 2015, it was re-released in 500 theaters on June 21st and 25th. Um, A third theatrical release is scheduled for September 2nd of this year um, where it's going to be screened in IMAX and 3D as part of the... Imagine
1: that in
0: 3D. Yeah, it'll be like the third movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, this, it's, it's coming back to theaters as part of um, a larger celebration for the 40th anniversary of another Spielberg classic, E.T. Hmm.
1: Um,
0: the film also launched the template for the summer blockbuster, as we have mentioned a couple times, Prior to Jaws, big budget films hoping for a large return were released primarily in the winter. Um, In conjunction with the success of Star Wars, this film saw the takeover of high concept films rather than Artur hound character-driven ones. Uh, Those who study film history look at Jaws as a turning point where studios began to take back creative um, control from filmmakers and uh, started to really um, lean in on blockbuster concepts and making the creatives behind the scenes more of an afterthought Mm -hmm. rather than the driving force. Um, In fact, the current Hollywood model um, is based on the marketing and the release of Jaws. Um, Wide national releases, which are known as saturation booking, backed by heavy television and internet advertising, make it hard these days for non-studio, non-big budget films to slowly gain traction and find an audience as um, they were able to do pre-Jaws. And additionally, studio executives and corporate filmmaking attitude has shifted in the wake of Jaws for a desire to make big profits quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So successful films um, were now not just cultural phenomena but marketable commodities. Um, this became really realized with the merchandising Grand Slam that accompanied Star Wars. Who, okay. You want to tell us about some of this yeah. other legacy stuff? So there's
1: <laughs> a common urban legend that like, um, the year that Jaws came out, like beach attendance dwindled. <laughs> and there's not really evidence for that. And it also came out like halfway through the summer. So who can <laughs> say? But there are studies that have like shown that like, it really did like cause a sort of fear of water in a lot of people like over the years. <laughs> um, you know, it definitely uh, caused a like increased interest in like shark-based tourism, like shark mm. boat like boats where you would go out to view sharks and like people going in like shark dives and that sort of thing. Um, and like actually like caused a lot of like countries to really embrace like shark culling efforts. <laughs> Like, Australia, in particular, would, like, have efforts to, like, sort of get sharks out of their more, like, touristy areas. Um, So, like, there's, like, definitely, like, effects like that. But, like, the sort of famous, like, oh, yeah, people didn't go to the beach after, like, Jaws didn't really happen. And it might have been, like, sort of conflated with, but that actually did happen with the 1916 attacks. Right. Um, But...
0: Yeah. i feel like it's always like anecdotal yeah like you always hear someone like oh i'm like my aunt or whatever yeah. like has never gone back in the water because she saw jaws yeah. or whatever you know but it's like okay but did anyone ever actually like look at us like beach attendance yeah. or like was there like a proper study you know
1: yeah because i like did research to try and see like if that was true and it was just basically like oh yeah people said that but we don't really have any yeah. evidence to back it um yeah Jaws was also linked with The Exorcist uh, in stories of like audience members like fainting and stuff and having extreme emotional reactions while viewing the films and theaters. I do think there is one documented case of somebody having like a traumatic response to Jaws
0: at the time. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Um, I'm sure there might be others, but there's like an actually solidly documented case. Um, Despite the film, as we said, Shark attacks remain incredibly rare. Um, there's only about two thousand occurring worldwide in any given year, um, and of those, only ten percent like result in fatalities. Um, That's pretty low. Yeah, but a lot of fishermen have taken to hunting sharks for sport because of Jaws, and they call it like the Jaws effect. Um, and the film's presence in pop culture has made like shark protection conservation like a little bit difficult. Yeah. <sighs> Peter Benchley himself has said that, like, he knew the truth about sharks in the wild, um, or if he had known the truth about sharks in the wild, he would have written the novel differently. Um,
0: kind of a bummer.
1: Yeah. 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 But. Yeah. I think sharks are kind of doing okay now. No, yeah, they Yeah. It's Now not... there's a
0: lot of, like, I think the internet has helped with, like, yeah, but guys, like, yeah. let's remember. And they're
1: also, like, really protected now, I think, in a lot of areas. Yeah. Um. And That's part of like why we have so much tagging of them as well, so we can keep an eye on populations and see how the populations are doing. If you need to like introduce like breeding efforts and that sort of thing, so
0: yeah, like those two hundred and eighty tagged great whites, yeah, yeah. over the, in Cape Cod, yeah. um,
1: which they said of that about two hundred and ten are still active, okay, and swimming around. So
0: sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, as we would imagine, there were a lot of aquatic-based horror and man-eating horror that um, was released in the wake of Jaws through the, um, the 1970s and the and 1980s. Most of them are largely seen as attempts to copycat. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the more prominent ones are Orca, Grizzly, Mako, the Jaws of Death, Alligator, Day of the Animals, Barracuda, Eaten Alive, and Piranha. Um, which Spielberg himself declared the best of the Jaws ripoffs.
1: Piranhas do freak me out. They're
0: yeah, they're freaking out. And the and the um Piranha's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Um, the remake Piranha three D in twenty ten actually features a cameo with Richard Dreyfuss. Um, he plays a fisherman who becomes a fir- the first victim of the man uh, flesh eating fish. Um, and this fisherman character is clearly meant to be a parody of Matt Hooper. Um, in fact, he is sh- uh, shown listening to Show Me the Way to Go Home on the radio. <laughs> I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, um, not a rip off and not a, you know animal copycat or anything, but um, when pitching uh, Alien to um, studio executives, Ridley, Ridley Scott pitched it as Jaws in Space. Mm-hmm. Um, um, other legacy notes, Robert Shaw's son, Ian, uh, co-wrote and starred in a play about the making of the film called The Shark is Broken. Uh, it ran on the West End for a special limited run from October of last year to February of this year. Huh. Um, and it's not the only stage adaptation, um, a musical retelling of the behind the scenes making of Jaws uh, that was drawn primarily from Carl um, Gottlieb's on-set account, The Jaws Log, um played at the seattle rep from june 1st to june 26th of this year 2022 and that musical was named bruce um and that is actually the third jaws related musical um a show called jaws the musical um played in 2004 and another musical called giant killer shark the musical played in 2006 um both of them at some fringe festivals this is <laughs> um a replica of the shark that was restored by greg nicotero of walking dead fame can be found at the new academy museum of motion pictures in los angeles um it had previously been on display for 15 years at universal studios hollywood jaws ride um then it sat in a junkyard for 25 years before the museum was able to acquire it god! Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, and how about when the film was released and made available for home viewing?
1: So it was released on Laserdisc. Ah! Um, I doubt there's a lot of people out there who have probably no idea what Laserdisc is. Probably. Um. It was uh, the first Laserdisc ever released in North America um, in 1978. Um, a second version was released in 1992, a third in 1995 which was packaged as a box set containing deleted scenes, outtakes, and a two-hour documentary of the making of the film, along with a copy of the novel and <laughs> the CD soundtrack. So At least you a, got a lot. Quite a haul.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, It was initially released on VHS in 1980, then again as a collector's edition in 1995 for the film's 20th anniversary. And then finally, a double VHS release occurred in 2000 uh, with the film on one tape and the special feature on the others. The
0: special features on the other. Remember the double VHS?
1: <laughs> hmm I remember Titanic was on double VHS just because it was so long so long um it was first released on DVD in 2000 for the 25th anniversary accompanied by a massive marketing push I remember that Mm -hmm. the DVD had an edited version of the making of documentary new interviews with Spielberg Scheider Dreyfus Benchley and other crew members and other various extras uh, a new DVD was released for the 30th anniversary at Martha's Vineyard, Jaws Fest, uh, which featured the restored documentary and a previously unseen interviewed, interview uh, with Spielberg from 1974 on set. Um, at the second Jaws Fest in 2012, a Blu-ray Ray was released. Blu-ray. Blu-ray.
0: The ru was released <laughs> oh, at Jaws Fest
1: <laughs> <laughs> 2012. <laughs> the Blu-ray was released <laughs> featuring over four hours of extras, including the shark is not working fan documentary. Uh, released on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, June 1st of 2020, um, and as we mentioned, uh, there are two or were two theme park-based rides in the film that were in operation, um, both in Universal Studios. Um, one was in Universal Studios Florida, which closed in 2012 to make way for the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And the second is in Universal Studios Japan, which I guess is still operating.
0: As far as I know, yeah. what I found. Yeah. Um,
1: three video games based on the film have been released. Um, one in 1987 for Nintendo, one in 2006 for <laughs> PlayStation, Xbox and PC, one in 2011 for the Nintendo 3DS and Wii. And a mobile game was released in 2010. have not played any of them. Me neither. Um, I've
0: heard about the the 87 one, the Nintendo one. Apparently, it's really hard.
1: <sighs> I have found that video games based on movies generally, like ones that are direct copies of movies, just aren't very good.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: uh, Aristocrat designed and produced the official Jaws slot machine. Yeah, uh, I that have was seen that at
0: casinos. Based
1: on the movie. <laughs> Um, a virtual pinball game, Pinball FX Three, features a Jaws-themed pinball table as an add-on. There are three D versions of Quinta and the Shark, uh, and the Shark. And the player can play missions. Quinta, Quint. Quint. I was like, who's Quinta? <laughs> who's Quinta? <laughs> um, Quint's wife. <laughs> yeah. So there's a three D version of <laughs> Quint and the Shark, uh, and you can play missions from either one's perspective. Um, And I'm waiting for the day they find a version to do Dead by Dawn with Jaws.
0: That would be kind of fun.
1: That would be cool.
0: Think they will? You do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll develop it.
0: And then last but not least, of course, Jaws was followed by three sequels. I've never seen any of
1: them, I have no idea. Which I didn't know until today, you guys. Which I have no idea what they're about, which characters return in them. She has no idea. I don't,
0: I'm blind. Good stuff. (laughs) Um. Well, as you could probably guess, Miss Mel, um, each of the sequels declined in both critical favor <laughs> and box office success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Jaws two came out in seventy eight, okay. and it was directed by um, Jean Swazik and um, starred uh, Scheider, Gary Hamilton, and Kramer. Okay, coming back in their original roles. That's the best of the sequels. Okay. Then we had Jaws three D in nineteen eighty three. Uh, which was directed by um, Joe Alves, the art director from the original film. And this, um, Jaws 3D had no original cast members returning, and instead starred Dennis Quaid and Lou Gossett Jr. Okay, (laughs) And then we finished out the franchise with Jaws the Revenge in 87. Uh, This was directed by Joseph Sargent and it starred Michael Caine, um, and saw Lorraine Gary coming back to replies her role as Ellen Brody, And whereas the original film that we have spent the last two hours talking about is regarded as one of the best movies of all time, Mm -hmm. Jaws the Revenge is regarded as one of the worst movies ever made. That's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) So get ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, despite those sequels that kind of had diminishing returns, I really don't think it has tarnished the legacy of the original in any way. And so that's gonna really wrap up our main discussion mm-hmm. um, for our 100th episode on Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Really the only thing left to do is to have our closing question today that's been prepared for us by Ms. Mel. Prepared. prepared. Maybe it's been prepared, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, she might so, be thinking of it right now. <laughs>
1: so it's more of like just an opinion, yes or no, maybe with some sort of like, I, I've left the the shot
0: you left oh, um, oh you've disappeared' I'm out
1: of shot you're out of shot
0: you just wanted to give everyone a really good look at the bay there the
1: bay um so my question is you know have you ever i feel like I would know if you have but maybe you've done something similar, but have you ever or would you ever go into sort of like one of those like shark cage? <sighs> I was like, I feel like he hasn't, but maybe he's done it and just kept it to himself. I've never done
0: that. Have you
1: scuba-dived?
0: I've never, I've never gone okay, scuba I've done that. Um, ton of snorkeling. Never mm-hmm. scuba-diving. I did do... Um, Can you believe I've scuba-dived? That, that I'm actually kind of surprised.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think what helped is because it was in Hawaii and it was so clear that I didn't really didn't, have... You were the, afraid of like something yeah. I catching see, you off guard. Yeah, you could see everything. Yeah. So
0: yeah i did do we were on vacation in mexico um and i was like i don't know maybe like 12 or 13 um and we did um it was called swimming with sharks but it was sort of like i don't know there was like this weird sharks. Like there was like this guys? weird pen sort of thing mm-hmm. um with like nets and glass
1: so there was a barrier between you yeah
0: and you like you were submerged and there was sort of like this metal catwalk that went around it Mm -hmm. and the sharks were inside and you sort of like walked around the perimeter while being in the water it Mm -hmm. was very weird interesting so like the sharks were right there but you know um i also uh when i was at the atlantis resort in the bahamas when you go down the big famous water mm-hmm. slide that they have, you end up in a tube in oh, a big pool surrounded by sharks. Yeah, I've seen that's as close yeah. as I've gotten. Yeah. I think I want to keep it that way. Yeah. Um, if I were ever to go cage diving, I think it would have to be a situation like you were just talking about where the water was very clear mm-hmm. and maybe specific kind of sharks. Like cage yeah. diving in the territories with great whites just yeah. seems like a recipe for disaster.
1: Yeah, and like there are sharks that are even worse than great, like tiger sharks. True, tiger I think sharks are, are like, vicious. Very, like they will bite the shit out of you. And but um, bull
0: sharks can be pretty dangerous. Bull
1: sharks too. Um, great whites are just massive, um, yeah. which is kind of scary. The thing is, is like I feel like in theory, I actually. In a very controlled environment, could do cage scuba diving because I'm in the cage, you know. So yeah. I feel as long as it's not you know wrecking the cage. <laughs> Although apparently there's footage of one actually wrecking the cage. <laughs> yep. So maybe maybe not, but um. Yeah,
0: just don't watch Forty Seven Meters Down yeah. before.
1: Oh, I, we watched that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. We did it for our booze and booze. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like I've never done sort of any sort of like I've obviously been to aquariums and been like look at sharks, but. Yeah, never done any sort of swimming with sharks like the closest I've honestly gotten to like a shark encounter is I used to do a lot of um, surf fishing. And you pull um, in sand sharks all the time like that's like the number one thing I would they pull catch in. yeah and you just let them go because you can't really do anything with them, but they look yeah. like fully just very mini sharks. They're very fun. That'd be trippy a little bit. Yeah, they don't have teeth because they just sort of have like sort of sandpapery... Yeah, don't they sort of just like... Yeah, yeah they yeah. have like these sandpapery mouths basically that have like little bumps on them that I think they use to like grind up small fish and like crabs that they eat, but they literally just look like tiny sharks. <laughs> And they're they're kind of funny and they always look pissed off. But I would catch you know, you catch those all the time off the coast of the Jersey Shore. They're that's everywhere. Cool. Yeah. And
0: then you just sort of toss them back yeah. and that's that.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, you catch some more. You can catch other fish, but like most of the time you're catching sand sharks. So well, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Um So you would but in a very controlled space.
1: I think so. Like, I mean, definitely the way that Hooper was doing it in the middle of, you know, I guess we're meant to think they're out at, like, deep sea. Like, yeah, that's something else. They're way out, yeah. But if it was, like, you know, 30 meters offshore as part of a resort package. <laughs> because that's what I did when we went scuba diving was it was, like, just this thing that you could do as part of the, you know, the hotel would let you right, go out and the do it. Right, like,
0: excursions yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and you
1: were, like, you know, we were in water that was probably maybe, like... Like, we'd never... We did not go deep enough to have to do, like, Um, any sort of compression stuff like we were not deep at all. Yeah. Um. You know, we didn't have to learn how to do like the you know compression stops and that sort of thing. Crazy. Yeah. So it really wasn't like real scuba diving, but um, we were probably in a good like twenty to thirty feet of water. Um, and there was a lot to see. I remember it being very beautiful, and supposedly there was a sea turtle. I didn't see it, but this (laughs) the the dive guide like gave us the symbol for sea turtle and like pointed and i was just staring at the blue abyss <laughs> like, I was like, I where's the it. turtle <laughs> but um
0: that's cool yeah
1: yeah all right i would do
0: a yeah i would do a controlled like resort i yeah. think version yeah, of yeah it. but
1: like the researchers would go out in the shark
0: cages. no that's uh yeah i mean more power to them but yeah the real crazy ones are the ones who get out of the cage
1: yeah the ones who like just swim literally swim with the sharks yeah. and stuff um, cause I feel like, I don't know. I feel like they seem temperamental. Like, I feel like it could be really easy to piss them off. Right. Like, you know how you like you pet a cat. You probably don't know, but you can pet a cat and the cat will turn and nip at you. When yeah. It's, like just, like for to, no reason. Yeah. To like not be pet anymore. I feel like a shark could do that.
0: Yeah. Except when a shark nips, you don't lose a limb.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if I'd, I'd be down for doing something like that, but, um, a bit too much? yeah, like controlled stuff where I can see very well is pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. I could, I could get, I could get down with it. I'll have to find my mom has like the, cause we have the pictures from that trip, like in a physical, you know, like, Oh, not, an actual like photo yeah. album. So, and she had a bunch of pictures from it. Cause we took an underwater camera. So I'll have to see if I can find them. Yeah. It
0: was you beautiful. Should.
1: But, yeah.
0: Yeah. Sharks, man. Yeah. Or pro shark. Pro shark. Like sharks, love sharks, love jaws made for a good hundredth episode. Yeah um thanks so much to everyone who has listened whether this is the first time you've ever listened or maybe you've been listening way back since that horror top five episode one we appreciate it regardless um if you're interested in continuing to support us um there's lots of ways where you can find us and lots of ways where you can do so miss is gonna tell you about that
1: right now yeah so you can follow us on twitter at splatter chatter uh, 666 minus all the vowels but searches will pop right up you can send us an email at splatterchatter 669 at gmail.com you can send us messages and comment on things on tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com uh, we have an instagram splatterchatter666 and you can leave comments on the blog at splatter
0: absolutely um for now we're going to close out our big fun episode 100 Um, When we next come back, it will be for our August episode, episode Mm -hmm. 101, where we will be doing our third volume of Campfire Tales. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to see if we can uh, scare each other, spook each other a little bit. We're actually going to be in the woods together Mm -hmm. with a friend of the show, Miss Colleen, in early August. Maybe we'll practice up there. Maybe
1: we'll experience one of those spooky tales. Yeah. Hopefully not, but who
0: knows. Because we have some schmoz. Yeah. Um... So, until then, we want to uh, wish you a good sharkless rest of your summer. Uh, we want to remind you to keep up the creep. And for now, we will say um, farewell and adieu, you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain.
2: Show me the way <laughs> to go I'm tired and I want go to bed I had a...